This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Friday to you. Holy cow, you're getting ever so closer to uh, the big day. Ten days away from Christmas. Oh. Oh, sorry. Terry, thought you had something else in mind. No, you're you're not. What? You're not excited for that day? It's all right. It's all right. Not enough explosions. Yeah. Not enough lightsaber battles. Robots. So, is there something else going on between now and Christmas? I mean, between this very day. Well, just yeah. think about what you're doing at three thirty this afternoon. Well, I'll probably be taking a nap. Ooh. In a dark room. That's harsh. Watching oh. Star Wars. I'm going to throw popcorn at your head if you sleep. What's the name of the sh- the this this ver- this sh- show? Star Wars: The Return of the No, the Last it's called Jedi. Chewbacca's Revenge. A Chewbacca bite. It really should be right. The death of Porgs. The Last Revenge. Is that what they're calling it? No. Oh, the Last Jedi. Oh, yeah. Which is confusing. Because Jedi can be both singular and plural. Huh? Mm. Think oh. about it. <laughs> you, you Did know, you read that like on the, the no, Twitter feed for Jedi? That was like the Jedis. first thing I, when they released the name like a year ago. I was like, oh, yeah. Ooh, that's who knows? Intense. Another interesting tidbit. Yes. Return of the Jedi, You, I think you kind of alluded to that, was originally going to Did be he? titled Revenge of the oh, Jedi. wow. But then George Lucas... Decided, you know what? Jedi don't get revenge. That's not in keeping with the Jedi. No. Yeah, no. They just get their hands cut off. And so he continued his history of just meddling with this thing he should leave alone. Oh, I mean, boy. He's, <laughs> he seems to be, have a tepid response to this movie. He went, it looks like it's edited well. Whoa. Really? And you no. know, Mark Hamill said that he wishes George Lucas would have been more involved. Sure. And then it would be ruined. So we're glad he's not. Mm. Well, th- today's the day. And Jeffrey and I will well, be it was, watching it. Last night was the day. Well, last night was the day, but today's yeah. the day for us. Yeah. And Terry's going to probably be home, you know, noodle okay. whipping his children. Yeah, so be great. we'll switch off every five minutes. Nope. We'll send spoilers to Terry. That's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Oh, let's do that. When are you seeing it, Terry? Saturday. Okay, yeah. We'll send him a bunch of... I, I will personally send you a text about... But you're going to be asleep. Well, but I'll wake up It'll for interrupt your nap. <laughs> I really am afraid when they put me in a dark room, I'm going to go to sleep. Your your what your cold medicine induced coma. Yeah, no, I, I took the green stuff instead of the orange stuff, and the ooh, green stuff makes ooh. you sleepy. Yeah, that's the PM. You got to be careful. <sighs> Do not drive any heavy construction vehicles while under the no, dosage. No, you know I haven't driven my front loader for days <laughs> since you know since the accident. Anyway, a lot to cover today. Uh, nonetheless, we'll also be talking about the power of electronic media. Because, I mean, you know, it, depression rates are going up. Anxiety rates are going up ever since these little contraptions have come out. So do you think if we put those contraptions down, our anxiety level would go down as well? Well, not now. <laughs> now our anxiety – if we put them down, our anxiety level goes up. Huh. People still have those phantom, you know, vibrations from their phone. Right. Is that my phone? Is that my phone? So I think it would actually go up. But the, the the reality is something's not right. We're all kind of messed up. And there's been three or four former Facebook executives that have come out and said that they purposely have set up a product that messes with you no. mentally. Do yeah. they really? Yeah. 
That's horrible. Now, granted, they're out of the company, so they may have a grudge or something. Yeah. But, I mean, they're they're talking about what the psychological steps that were taken into consideration when they built the product to make it addictive. Yeah. Great. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Microsoft. And well, no, Facebook. Apple. Oh, and Facebook. See, I don't and- know Microsoft did. They just created, like, the platform that everyone built the original ideas on. Well, they've created other things. Well, yeah. Xbox. Yeah, that's a little addictive. Yeah. So did you decide? Did I decide? I haven't decided. Okay. Hey, Nobody knows. By the way, speaking <laughs> of that. addictions, I think I may have passed one of mine on to the next generation of Simpsons. Oh. Uh-oh. I oh. was in the living room. Like at- Homer. Homer <laughs> passes it on to <laughs> Little Simpsons. So my daughter was eating some chips just out of a bowl. Yeah. And she looked up at me and she's like, she she said, Daddy, for dinner... Can, can I have some of those chips and the, the yellow sauce and the meat? Oh, no way. And I told my wife, she's like, she wants nachos for dinner. And she's like, I know. She's been asking for it all day. Oh, you've ruined And this her. is something that we did months ago, and she still remembers it. No, I mean. It's that good. This is that drug we did months ago, and she still can't get it <laughs> off her mind. You've you've notified your, your daughter. Mm-hmm. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Holy cow. Paul Ryan. Tired. Alleg- may, Allegedly. May be done. He says he isn't. Well, he says he isn't as he's walking out of a press presser sure. and everyone laughs when he walks away. But apparently the talk behind this is the AP saying the talk is he's not he was not even in a job he wanted. He, remember, mm-hmm. he didn't even want the speaker job. Right. He wanted the House Ways and Means job. Yeah. Boring. And he he got – he basically is going to pass this tax deal and then he's like, I'm out of here. He Maybe. And, he and that other guy. Or, or there's another report that it's the end of 2018 he'll be out. Well, no. He's – yeah. Well, because his term ends And there's the end another of one that says you know, like in a week he'll say he's done with the speaker job. It, what is he going to do yeah. next? Well, he's going to go make money. He'll go work out. And he'll stay with his family do and he'll work P- out. PX90 or yeah. whatever he does. And do a PX90 video, which uh, is what hey, I'm going to do me. when I retire. P90X. Yeah. PX95. I don't even do it and I know it. But I, you know, someday I'm going to do that. It's, it's sweating to the oldies. He does that in the- I'm going to put the X in the PX90. Hmm. X marks the spot. Uh, that's, uh, that's big news. By the way, uh, Omarosa- is that how you say her name? Amorosa. Amorosa. Ambrosia. Ambrosia. Ambrosianosa. Either way, she went was kicked out she kicking apparently, and screaming, allegedly. They say she was kicking and screaming, but... She doesn't. She, no. She said, we had the meeting... In the situation room. In the situation room, which... <laughs> and the reporter's the most secure like, room in the entire building. Goes, when you're talking about something this important as employment at the White House, yeah. what better room to talk about it in than the situation room? You're I like, mean, Really? You know that when Kelly is like, yeah, I'll know, I'll meet with her. But yeah, we got situation room. Yeah. Either that or Camp David. <laughs> I'll meet with her at Camp David. Let's just fly out there and take care of that. So she's apparently leaving, but she says she's got a story to tell. There's stuff she's seen that makes her, that weirds her out a little bit. And people are going to want to hear about it. And she's got a story and she's going to tell her story. <laughs> Scary. Yeah. You're fired. And the Secret she Service fired. She was, the Secret Service was quick to come out and say, we had nothing to do with this. We just canceled her badge so she couldn't get back in the building. But she supposedly has meetings next week. Or, or something. Yeah. 
It's all right. Sean Spicer's been out of the White House for how long? And he keeps showing back up for Christmas parties. So. Well, and he also That's has, the silliest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. He also has a book that he might be pitching, too. Yeah. By the way, Jeff, so if your car, your, did your card work today? Yes, it did. Oh. oh okay. Hmm. That's good for you. I'll, I'll check good. on that. Wait yeah, a minute. Because that's supposed to not work. I'll check. I'll check. Uh, so we'll be getting into all that fun. But uh, before we, we go, you know, do much more here on the show, we, we've got to get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what else should we be paying attention to? After weeks of waffling, Senator Marco Rubio on Thursday told Senate leaders he now opposes the Republicans' tax plan unless it expands a child tax credit, the Washington Post reported. Rubio and Senator Mike Lee of Utah proposed an expansion of the tax credit aimed at helping the working poor but it was rejected by the Senate in previous versions of the bill that passed through the chamber. Lee has not yet indicated whether he will support the bill. The changes Rubio is seeking would add tens of billions of dollars to a new tax uh, in new tax breaks for millions of low-income and working-class families. So what are we talking about per child? Not sure. Depends mm. how tall they are. Yeah. I think it's by... It's, by it's, height, <laughs> it's a height and weight situation. Sure. It's taxed <laughs> by the foot. <laughs> It's it's really it's it's really good fruit so leather too. He wants something. Uh, Senator Mike Lee is still not c- confirmed yes or no. You have Bob Corker that's kind of out there a little bit. You have Senator McCain that's in the hospital, right? Oh, that's sad. Yeah. Mike Pence is saying he's going to delay a little bit his trip to I think Jerusalem. He's headed to um, just in case his votes needed to make sure this gets through. Um, so, oh, yeah, wow. a little concerned with this tax bill that yesterday everyone was a little, you know, they were like really positive, like this is going to happen. And yeah. Then, uh, wait a second. Interesting that you'd think that this would be a no-brainer. Remember, well, this was the thing that had to pass that is the, going to set up for 2018. The other problem is they don't really have a lot of wiggle room. They're right up against their, their cap number that if they go over it, then they need 10 uh, Democrats to join on to pass the bill. only so. Roy Moore had gotten in. Well... That's where they're trying. They're also trying to get get it passed before they have to deal with that. Yeah. In the first of the year, because they want this done by Christmas. Oh yeah. By the way, it. has he conceded yet? No. Wow. He doesn't it, need to, but yeah, he's still waiting on all the absentee votes and everything to be voted. He's yeah. so sassy. Well, his horse was. <laughs> if that was indeed his horse, he didn't look like he knew what he was doing and he was riding it. No. According to people that know, I have no According, idea. Yeah, to people, and he doesn't know how to don a hat, a well, cowboy hat. Yeah. 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 Is it donning or doffing? I'm not I sure. don't know. Is it both? Could, I guess do whatever you want with your hat. In other news, President Trump initiated a phone call with Russian President Vladimir Putin on Thursday to thank the strongman leader for acknowledging America's strong economic performance in his annual end-of-year press conference, according to the White House. Have you huh. ever seen this press conference? It goes on for like six hours. Yeah. The, today it was only, or this time it was only three and a half hours. It's, it's crazy. All these people are holding up signs. It with was a brief. Crazy oh. pictures on it to get his attention. He, and, it yeah. was a love fest with Trump, though. Right. It was the Kremlin said the conversation was held at the request of the U.S. The call came after Putin defended Trump against claims his presidential campaign colluded with Moscow, blaming suspicions of Russian election meddling on spy mania, Putin said. A, a deep state in the U.S. is fueling anti-Russian sentiment. Is he watching the news from over here? What's he watching? Oh, yeah. This is all made up by people who oppose Trump to make his work look illegitimate, Putin was quoted as saying by the New York Times. His comments came the same day the Washington Post reported that Trump was explicitly informed of Putin's involvement in a scheme to interfere in the 2016 election during his transi- transition by the head of the CIA, FBI, oh, yeah. and the Department of Intelligence. But he's kind of dismissed all that and well not, all all of the 
all of the intelligence agencies say there was a problem. Yes. And but the reality is Trump and Putin say there wasn't. So, I mean, who are you going to believe? <laughs> Seems like a no-brainer. Uh, and it's some sad news. A firefighter from San Diego died Thursday while fighting the Thomas Fire in Southern California, the state's fourth largest fire in modern history. He has been identified as Cal Firefighter uh, San Diego Unit Fire Apparatus Engineer Corey Iverson, 32, a married father of two. The Thomas Fire started December 4th in Santa Paula, quickly spread through the southwest and northwest, or two there. It is now a 242,000-acre fire, mm. having moved from Ventura County to Santa Barbara County, has destroyed more than 900 homes. Mm. It's been fueled by dry winds. They've died down for now, but are expected to pick back up today. Right. The fire is only 30% contained. Fire officials say they will, do not expect it to be fully out until January 7th. Oh. I'm not sure how you can just pinpoint a day two, three weeks out. But well, that's the date. Well, maybe if you're going by the current 10% increment. Oh, oh look at you, little mathematician. Wow. Containment. Look at the big brain on him. I'm going to miss that. Hmm? Maybe, maybe that's your new job, fire prediction for the San Diego County. <laughs> you, could be, you can be the fire predictor. <laughs> look at me. Okay, uh, this story was – I don't, I don't uh, know if this story is – Strange or odd, but uh, there's some surgeons in uh, yeah. Britain, Britain. Yeah, they're doing some uh, liver surgery, oh. and when they do the liver surgery, they go in with uh, an optical laser. Right, okay. it, it, it burns a little bit. Yeah. And they're able to make you know, and, the, and when they get on there, they mark. Okay, we're going to take this section off or whatever. Well, this doctor went in and he put his initials on people's livers. Oh, like like like. Like yeah. branded them. He was, yeah, hmm. with his optical laser. Yeah, just kind of put his little initial on the person's this liver while mine. he was in there. I Dr. marked it. Dr. Joe was here. Now, <laughs> normally these types of marks on the liver heal themselves and just go away. As they're made, you know, they'll, they'll put an X on there and this is where we're going to cut or marks something like spot. that. Right. Uh, well, he put his initials, probably thinking they, were, they would just go away. They didn't. Oh, boy. And they may have led to somebody's further complications, right? Because you think about how, how is anyone uh, going to know that he put, yeah. they had to open somebody back up and go back in because there was a liver problem and they see this doctor's initials and they start, hmm. So then they go back through the records and see, the, oh, this is the previous doctor. Oh, boy. What did he do? So now he's on trial for misconduct. Yeah. You know, regular tattoo removal ex- is so expensive. I can't even imagine what liver tattoo removal yeah. costs. It's way. I mean, it's Yeah, it's it's not very common. So but it's it's expensive. Dr. Simon Bramhall 53 has pled guilty to assault of two patients for branding his initials into their organs during surgery. Why? What is why? There's why, no why there's, not? there's no legal <laughs> precedent in the law for this type of thing. Of course not. Yeah. Well, uh, that's weird. Was he branding the part he would take? I guess not. He would brand the healthy part and then well, it's a take similar, out the unhealthy part. If you go part. in for knee surgery, they put an X on the good surgery, you know, yeah. put yes or no or X or something yeah, on the knee that you're going to use. wear off. Right. And so that was kind of what they he probably was thinking with this. It's an argon laser they use. It doesn't make optical, any sense. Because yeah. mm. even if it was like, oh, I want to do this to ensure that they'll have to come back if, in case there are complications and I'll, I'll get more work out of it. Because his initials will be on him. Yeah. They'll know it's him. Yeah. What is the point? It's not. It makes no sense. And it's ruining a good liver. Your liver is your te- your body's your temple. You shouldn't mark it up like that. By the way, liver is also a horrible meal. 
You ever had liver? Yeah. It's pretty bad. I don't like talking about it. Okay. Makes me a little gaggy. So what are they going to do with the guy? He's, they're going to sentence him after the first of the year. What's, I mean, so he pled guilty. So now they're they're in the sentencing phase, and it's like there's no precedent for this type of wow. crime. Right. So what do you do? He'll have a lighter sentence though because he pled guilty. Obviously, n- not going to be a doctor. Yeah, that'll be probably one of the stipulations that they take his license. Oh boy! So, so then you, now you know what he'll do. What? Probably get a radio show. Oh, that's what all doctors do. Though. Or be a tattoo artist. Yeah. Yeah. A laser. Maybe he'll do a laser show. <laughs> pew pew <laughs> get a little get a little uh pink floyd do a little laser show he'll tour with sticks that'd be great so i don't know i mean well, what do you do what do you and do? They, they can't directly say that he carved into the liver and caused the problems yeah. they were searching for when they went back no, in he just he just graffitied but it's it the fact that he graffitied this person's innards yeah but luckily it was just his initials not like a portrait right. maybe they'll just come back and say dude that was messed up. And know. then they'll go their separate ways. <sighs> you know what? A lot of weird stuff is coming out of the UK now. Do you guys know what the word youthquake means? I saw that this morning. Youthquake. Mm-hmm. Isn't that what happens when you take your child's phone away? Kind of. It's the 2017 word of the year in the Oxford Dictionary. Really? Youthquake, yep. It's what happens when I mention homework or uh-huh. bath time. It's defined as a, it's a significant <laughs> cultural, political, or social change arising from the actions or influence of young people. Hmm. A youth quake. So what have been some youth quakes over 2017? <whistles> they haven't uh, done anything this year. Well. So this is a word coming out of the UK. Yeah. But they mainly say it's, you know, it's globally used, but it's really big in the UK. So it must be uh, protests in the UK, which would yeah. you know it'd have to be over Brexit. I was going to say liver branding. The, the big thing I can think of there's Brexit, but that was more motivated by like old people wanting to yeah. take the economy back to where it was. I don't know that I'd say I don't know that I'd call them old people I, versus young people that would come up with a word like youthquake. Do you know what the word compromat is? Compromat? Yeah. It's the, the Russian word for – it came out during the yes. dossier discussion. This is the, another runner-up word. The way the Russians will – the spy agencies would try to trap other Compromising information collected for politi- political leverage. I was going to yeah. say that doesn't sound Russian. No. Compromat. Compromat. You have to say it mm, Russian. That, that's Compromat. Not, not even close. Compromat. Well, they don't have any words that, like that. It was almost German. <laughs> um. This one, this one reminds me of Jeffrey Broflake. Mm. Broflake, a man is who is readily upset or offended by progressive attitudes. A broflake. Well, that's interesting. So that would be a, a Republican, let's say, who is easily offended by progressive attitudes that conflict with his values. A broflake. That the doesn't opposite, seem to the, resonate. The opposite being a snowflake, apparently. Yeah, or Senator Flake. Or Senator Flake. Yes. Who is also, I don't think, given his up or down vote on the taxes yet. Well, no, you got to. At least the final version. By the way, do you want to bet they'll all just get in line? Oh, sure. Wouldn't you do that as a senator? Just wait for everybody to come in and ask you for all these favors and feel really important? I'd like a new car, please. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Work that into the bill. Mm. Uh, Just a little, yeah. 
But Can you get me the episodes of Games of Thrones ahead of time? Oh, Can wow. you get those before they're released? Yeah, do that. Do that, then we'll talk. But don't you think if you were in the Senate, you would call a lot of hearings with Hollywood producers that are making movies that you really want to see? You guys would. Just because? You'd call all the Marvel comic directors in. <laughs> yeah, and then I'd yell and at say, them. We need evidence. Your plot development was horrible. Yeah. yeah. I want every trailer that's ever been had and will ever come out in the next five years. And then you'll you'll watch trailers all day, especially over this this, well, new, this Disney purchase. I would demand to I'd use my oversight responsibilities to find out as much as I possibly could before anybody else. I know. Have and you, then I go to my little. We will help you. By I'd, go, I'd go to my shadow blog and release it all. It'd be awesome. Have you shadow seen that blog. that tweet that somebody posted about how the Simpsons predicted that they were going yes. to be a part of 20th Century Fox? Yeah. They've yeah. predicted a lot of things. Really? You, you, when you have that many shows over, what is it, 20-something years? And this was back in 98. Yeah, you're going to throw a lot of darts, and some of them are going to hit. <laughs> That's so. true. There's this scene where they go 20, you know, 20 Century Fox and then a Walt Disney company, it says across the bottom. <laughs> it's pretty funny. It's happening. And, and what a blessing that is. I don't know. Yeah, no, I think it's really neat. The nothing says Americana more than the Electric Parade. How been a, Cinderella, a, a media monopoly that uh, will control every aspect every of TV, image, video, and cartoon that's ever existed. Yeah. Right. Can this be considered a monopoly, or how close are they to a monopoly? It's it, getting closer. It depends, but the Department of Justice is looking at other media purchases, merger, mergers, yeah. and they're, oh, we're not sure about this, but this one, they're all on board for some reason, or but, at least the president Which makes is. no sense. Yeah. Then you're going to have well, movies. No, the Rupert Murdoch calling the president constantly, and they're good friends. Ah, Eventually, though, you'll have movies where, like, the Simpsons take on the Seven Dwarfs. Yeah. Armageddon. Yeah. yeah. Trust me. I'm a highly trained professional. The one thing that the Simpsons did predict that will never come true is Arnold Schwarzenegger as president. Oh. I don't think that was a prediction more than a, you know, You know what, funny. though? I mean, it, it's not legally supposed to happen, but there's a lot of things that have happened that no one believed could ever happen. Get to the chopper! <laughs> okay, straight ahead, we're going to be talking about the power of electronic media. Randall Wright will be joining us to, uh, to teach us more about what we can be doing as parents to make sure that the media doesn't... Uh, run our lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. U.S. adults spend an average of 123 minutes, that's two hours and three minutes on laptops or desktops every day in 2017. People watched, read, or listened uh, to, streamed, and posted more media than ever in 2017, and it is expected to rise again in 2018. But what effect is all of this media having? Here to talk to us about it is and the power of a power the power of electronic media. And its ability to either build or destroy is Dr. Randall Wright. He is a he has a PhD in family studies, and is now a personal life coach who has written several books, taught uh, at universities for years. And we are excited to have you here, Dr. Wright. Thank you for your time. 
It's good to be with you. This, um, I mean, I guess that's the that's the issue, right? We've we've been using all this technology, phones, cell phones, and then every app associated with it. We've been doing it for years, and and it just seems like it's fairly recent that the that the research is actually now starting to catch up. Is that right? Yeah. Well, it's been going on for years. The research is mainly, you know, television, movies, those kinds of things. Uh, so we're just now seeing the impact of the internet full force. Now I think we're starting to see it. Is what, what what are we seeing in the research and the data? What overall what impact is uh, the electronic media having? Well, I think you know, it's always been a controversial subject. What's happening now? I just say my involvement with it goes back several years, and uh, I guess the first thing I looked at was what was happening in society. And the first thing that really got my attention was the uh, birth out of wedlock, and I was just looking at. 1950, it was 4 out of 100, 1960, 5.3, 1970, 10.7. And when I saw that, I go, whoa, from 60 to 70, first of the red light doubled. I go, what happened? And, you know, as you talk to people, well, the Vietnam War, birth control, and go, birth control, do you think that would make the birth rates out of red light go down, not up? But uh, I just started looking at it and saying, what role does the media have? And I guess... The thing that hit me first was a statement by, uh, I guess it was Leo Christensen, who's a Miami University professor, and he said, when the next Gibbon writes about the decline and fall of America, and Gibbon wrote, Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire, but he said, he won't be talking about communism, and this is in the 80s, and he go, okay, communism, big things. He says this, he said, the entertainment industry will be the villain. It's winning America's heart while ravaging its soul. Mm. And I thought, wow, that's an interesting statement, and I wonder if that's true, so yeah. to speak. So when we see the impact, when we talk about media, first we need to, I think, establish the fact that it does have an influence on society. And so another thing that hit me, and it was just about the time I was starting to work on a master's degree and then later a PhD in the subject, but I looked at a study of heroes of American youth. In 1900, 78% were historical figures, so George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and literary figures, the John Steinbeck, Mark Twain, that kind of thing was 12%. So we go 78% historical, 12% literary, and then 10% with other. I started looking at the births out of wedlock, and then I thought, what role does media play? And so I saw a study that was done about heroes of American youth. 1900, 78% of their heroes were historical. So the George Washington, Abraham Lincoln kind of thing, 12% were literary, and then 10% were other. By 1950, the historical had dropped from 78% to 33%. The literary dropped to zero, and then the other remained about the same at about 10%. And then the new kind of people on the scene were the media stars, the movie stars, uh, music stars. 57% then of heroes of American youth were media. And then when I was working on a PhD, I kind of repeated what they did, saw that the historical went from 78% in 1900, 33% down to 2%. Uh, literary was still at zero, and then the other remained about the same, 12%, and then 86% were television, movie, music stars. Holy cow. Whoa. So uh, we really, we, 
changing. So we really, yeah. So what you saw is um, that uh, our 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 love of kind of historical figures, political figures, the, the, they dropped to basically two percent, and really our heroes became our television stars, our movie stars, our action heroes. Exactly, and so. You know, and then you look at the term of a hero, a man of distinguished courage or ability, and you go, wait a minute, what has that got to do with the heroes that we're talking about here? I think it fits better with the term idol. And, you know, there's no American idol, whatever. A person or thing devotedly or excessively admired is an idol. And so, you know, I think the media kind of blended the two together for the youth of America so that uh, heroes and idols are, are... kind of use interchangeably there. Mm. So is that, I so, guess what, I, we're just becoming more media obsessed, it sounds like. And and do you do you correlate that then to other values that are falling, other values that, that aren't being uh, applied? And that was my whole interest was if they can sell things, if they can sell themselves to be some kind of a hero, what else can they sell? And so... Yeah, about the same time I was working on a master's, uh, Michael Jordan came along and signed a contract with Nike for this contract called for 500000 a year for five years, but then he had stock options, so it turned out to be $1.4 million a year. And I go, why would they pay someone $1.4 million a year just to be a spokesman for shoes? And his contract said that if he didn't sell $4 million worth of in his third year, well, in two months, they sold $70 million worth of Air Jordans. Holy cow. And now, in 2016, it was $2.8 billion. And I don't know if you saw, but in 15 years, Michael Jordan played professional basketball. He made $94 million. In 2014, he crossed the barrier for the first time, and he's been retired for years. He made $100 million in one year just off his Nike contract. Wow. Which is, uh, okay, they can sell shoes, it's obvious. What else can they sell? And that was my question, is what can they sell? And so then you see that birth out of wedlock go from 4 to 5 to 10, 1980, 18, 1990, 25, 2000, it goes to 33, and that's about 43.5. So something's happened. And uh, so for me, my research was into the impact of electronic media that it has, and we'll go into all of it, but uh, research for masters, it was television influence, and for PhD movies, and now it's changed drastically. But just, for example, one question I asked on the uh, survey, and it was a nationwide study, not that every state or anything, but we had a couple of thousand kids involved in that study, and so they fit into five different groups, and I'll just say, based on their media, in this case, the number of R-rated movies they watched, and what they didn't know is fed into the computers was what was in every movie released in the last five years, every bit of sex, violence, profanity, but here's an example. In in group one, they saw zero to four R-rated movies for the year, and it goes up to group five was 50 plus, but the percentage that would be willing to have sex outside of marriage, low group exposure, 20% willing, then it jumps to 51%, 65%, 73%, and then the high exposure group to our rated movies at the local theaters. We're not talking about pornography here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the R rated movies, 93% said they'd be willing to have sex out of marriage. Wow. 
So again, this is just a, a survey. They're answering the question, but it's pretty obvious that something is happening, something drastic is happening with values. And so if they can sell shoes, if they can sell product, can they sell moral values? See, that's actually, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting point because one of the, the goals of what we do at BYU Broadcasting is to use the, the media, uh, I guess, in the opposite direction and try to create stronger values and help people connect to their more important values. So I, I guess the, the, the premise is that the media is a powerful tool. Is there data that shows that we can use it both ways? Oh, for sure. I mean, if you look at, let's just take, uh, I'll be flying out here on some trips coming up, but you know, we fly on airplanes, and you go, well, airplanes good, and you go, very, very good. And you go, well, wait a minute, I thought almost 3,000 people got killed by airplanes in the World Trade Center. Mm-hmm. And you go, exactly. It's how airplanes are used. The media, unbelievable force for good. Uh, what's happened now, as we kind of have came, you know, when... Uh, the statement I made by Rio Christensen about entertainment industry will be the villain winning America's heart while ravaging its soul. He was talking about just television, just movies, and go, it can be the opposite also. So much good. And so now what we have is something that no one's ever seen in history with the introduction in 2007 of the iPhone. You just go, Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, if I would have had this when my kids were dating, I think I would have drained my bank account just for one little app called Friend Finder, where I can see exactly where they're at. Uh, I'm sitting there not working, and I just go, unbelievable. But if you look at the iPhone, or excuse me, I should say smartphone, iPhone was kind of the one that got it all started on a huge scale. But that was 2007. I'm not talking about that long ago. And you go, what is it? So in our hand is basically every modern technological invention, telephone, television, movie theater, typewriter, steel camera, movie camera, radio, record player. I mean, it's all right there. And so we know the good that those things can do. And when you think about what you can do, it's a post office. No, it's a shopping center. Hmm. It's a research assistant. It's an encyclopedia. It's the largest library in the history of the world. And so, of course... I mean, if you want to research media, the good, just go to a Google search. It'll tell you every research study done on it. And what, you go, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, what do we then, so what do we do as parents to, to make sure that we are, we're using it for the good and that our children are using it for the good instead of just kind of following the river? Well, I think... First of all, we just need to be aware, and I've dealt with it any time you get a degree in media research and do a little speaking around the country, you have lots of input from lots of parents. And I think probably the number one thing is we just need to be aware. For example, uh, a lady comes to me and says, my son's really struggling. She gives me all these things that's happening. And my first question is, what kind of music does he listen to? She said, I have no idea. And I thought, there's our problem right there. Hmm. The, I have no idea. And so within, because of the wonder of the Internet, after I left her, she told me a little bit about him. I knew his name. I got online. I got into social media accounts. And within probably 15 minutes, 
I saw that he had listed his 100 favorite music, not songs, his favorite music groups, 100 Hmm. of them. So it took me a few minutes then to do some research on those groups and found out that he was heavily involved in what's called death metal. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure most people even know what death metal is, but I'll just say this. It could have been a mass murderer that wrote some of the <laughs> lyrics to that stuff. And so here she is wondering why he's struggling. He's got all the signs. He's dressing like this. He's acting the part. And she just is clueless. And I think that's fairly typical. So what happens now, and again, we could talk about the positive side, but I assume we're talking about parents are worried right now. Uh, they've got in their hand the most wonderful inventions in history here at their fingertips, or they've got the most vile pornography that ever, it's all right there. And I think for most, they're just unaware. And I see it constantly where parents are asking, you know, what's happening to my kids? And uh, I think one of the problems is if you were to type in, for example, Disney stars gone bad, for example, (laughs) uh, you would see immediately 25 Disney stars gone bad. And it's kind of a pattern. They'll take the kids on Mickey Mouse Club kind of thing over the years and turn them into the sex symbols. Well, the parents are saying, what are you listening to? And so they name off someone. Oh, that's the little Disney star, right? Well, it used to be the Disney star. Now it's a, it's a different kind of star. And so we just see that over and over again. And I think we just don't check it out. We don't look at what they're looking at. And they're not on Facebook for the most time as far as kids. They have other sites that they are into. And, you know, whether it's sites that hide pornography, I mean, it's a calculator, you know. No, it's not a calculator. There's over 3 million apps available in Google Play, 2.2 million in the Apple Store. Whatever you want is there. And so I would just say to parents, you know, let's see what's out there, first of all. Uh, See what's available, good and bad. There's so many good things for education. But on the other side, there are people that are willing to make money on things that are totally inappropriate for families. and. is killing us. It, it is. What? Uh, give us just give us a couple recommendations. We only have another minute left. But what are some more recommendations we can do? Uh, like you know, during this holiday season and even into the new year, two or three things that are tangible that I could go do today to to you know. I mean, other than getting to know my kids and understand what media they're looking at. Any other recommendations? Well, I would say, I would recommend to just. Uh, get online and go to YouTube and type in some Disney stars or Nickelodeon stars from the past and look at some of their videos. Yeah, just and just see what's out there. Videos. Just see what's out there. Go to the App Store if you want to know what's available. I mean, we could type in educational things for teaching math, or we could type in uh, maybe how to raise marijuana, the, the number one sites for drug use. If you want to know who's smoking in your area, it'll GPS them where you can connect with them in a five-mile radius. Anytime you have over three million apps, uh, we need to be aware a little bit. No, absolutely. And I think that's the, the biggest thing for parents. I just say, you know, let's just be aware of what's out there, good and bad. Yeah. 
And that's the key, I think, is jump on it and, and understand that you as a parent need to have a relationship with your kids, but you also need to be informed in the media. Uh, interesting insights. Appreciate it. Dr. Randall A. Wright, uh, helping us understand better about the impact. And really, who are your children's heroes? Why are they choosing the people they're choosing? And is there a way to sway that as well? We will continue the discussion uh, up next to do a little Coach's Corner. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Coach would have put me in fourth quarter. We'd have been state champions. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Play ball! Welcome back, friends. You know, uh, as we talk about media, it, it's a different world, right? I mean, because we don't even just talk anymore about television. I mean, think of how many times. In fact, I don't know that we've turned on our TV for days in our house. And um, it's, and you know, back in the day, I remember my mom would have to come in the house, put her hand on the back of the TV to see if we've been watching. Have you guys been watching TV and then turned it off right when I got home? Um, but it it wouldn't matter anymore because now the kids have video games. They have game uh, uh, on their phone and all this other all this other technology, plus not to mention social media and other things. So, again, I think we can sit there and get really upset, frustrated, scared, terrified by the fact that our children have all of these new devices – um, but I, I don't necessarily think the devices are bad. I think they're just instruments, right? They're just tools to be used. But we, I think in this battle of technology, we are losing our abilities and our own discipline to choose. And our children are, are not realizing how much power they have in and of themselves to make some of these decisions. So if you're not having the conversations with your kids – about their choices and about how they use the technology. And if we're not creating the discipline to get them to stop, then then it's, it's going to be a big issue. And I think it's going to be a bigger issue than we know. There are more uh, incidents of um, anxiety and depression. They're on the rise. And I personally believe it's it's connected and correlated to technology. It's also correlated, I think, to how we parent and that we're not necessarily making our children any more resilient to handling these issues, we just are using the media to keep everyone quiet. And we think because everyone's quiet, there's nothing wrong going on, when in reality, there's a lot going on. And I think, too, we, we're very quick to just think that technology is – it's just going to deliver pornography. It's just going to deliver other uh, really bad visuals or very bad um, you know, things we can do, like going out and learning how to grow marijuana. I think those are those are real, totally real, and I also think it's it may not be the real problem of the media because the bigger problem for me as a relationship coach is it may actually just be teaching us that we don't necessarily feel like we need anyone else. What if the real problem to media is simply the idea that it instills in our head that I don't need anyone else. I actually like being alone in my room watching my shows. I'd rather do that than have to go talk to people. And I don't even need to ask people for help because all I have to do is Google it. And I don't even need to know how to, you know, I don't need my dad to help me jumpstart my car. I can just go YouTube how to jumpstart your car. And, or I could just send my son to the internet to go jumpstart his car. 
instead of me as a dad going out and spending time with my my son fixing his car. So that to me is honestly significantly more dangerous than almost anything else you can find there. It's not, I don't think, what you find that matters. It's how it frames up your relationship to others, how it objectifies others, how it um, remolds and redirects what learning is and our need to be social. That, to me, is what is dangerous. And so can I just challenge all of us, especially as you may be entering a time of year when you might be spending more time with your kids because of the holiday breaks, because of the the time um, that you might – extra time you might have. Let's make it a point to turn off some of the media and or share the media, talk more about the media and create more of a conversation. Then all of a sudden – the media is something we're talking about. Instead of it, instead of it leading us, we are going to start to lead it. That's the simple and hopefully real idea um, about what we can be doing with our technology and our media. Anyway, just an opinion, right? Just my opinion. But hey, I've been wrong before. I mean, they tell me about that all the time on the show. More interesting stuff straight ahead, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome back to the program. Yes, today is the big day. Howard Cosell. It's Friday. That's why it's a big day for me. But for the other boys, it's a big day because we are um, going to go see Star Wars today. Yes, BYU Broadcasting will be celebrating Christmas with its employees by watching Return of Chewbacca, The Fourth Bite. Wrong. Something like that. Wrong. Wrong. Right. You're wrong. So today at 3.30-ish, we will be slowly... You know, slipping off into sleep as we watch the great Star Wars. Okay, if you don't want to fall asleep, which I'm, I'm actually sure that you do. Many are saying the greatest Star Wars movie <gasps> ever. What? Just really? Are they really saying that? Get, well, some, yeah. get some popcorn yeah. and get some soda. You get you get it for free. So I'm going to get a lot of popcorn, a lot of soda, and then I'm going to be texting all the way through it yes. and giving Terry and all of the updates. Turn my phone off. It'll be great. Rude. We're really going to do it. Yeah, we're going to do it. It's going to happen. Terry won't be there because he has got an appointment with his child and a pool noodle. Two children. He'll be whipping them with a pool noodle. One gets out of school right as this movie starts. Yeah. And don't. with our, our wonderful current situation with education in, you, you don't need in my to. area, nah. in this country, your kids don't go to the school that they live in that neighborhood. They you all go to different charter schools or all over the place, so make, there's really no one to watch You don't need kid. to make excuses. I'm not making an excuse. I'm just complaining. Oh. Okay. It's different. It sounds very- You are going to go anyway, though, because you've already got tickets for tomorrow. Yeah. I was thinking about doing it. Mm. I would love to see this movie twice. Yeah. My wife almost was trying to get the day off. Really? So she could go with me, but then it's like the kids and then like, you know, people wanted, there's some crisis at work, so she has to deal with it. It's all right. We just, we, Matt and I just have our priorities set. Yeah. Some of us want to keep our jobs. 
fine. It's all good. It's fine. Hey, um, lots of other stuff going on uh, today. It's not just Friday. It is also the launch to a weekend. Was that a Friday? Yeah. Okay. You're just re- you're just saying Friday over and over again. Well, it's just a very big day. Friday? Well, because yeah, oh. I haven't been sleeping well. Okay. So, so this means the the launch to a lot of a blissful eight hours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I even bought some melatonin. Ooh. Mm. Yeah. See, I know you've criticized people. Yeah. Without naming names, by the way. Who? What? Just you. Just kind of the way you do things at times. What uh, do you mean? For using melatonin, or what is melatonin? it? Melatonin. Yeah. No, I've never like, criticized why, that. Why are people using melatonin? No, I've never said that. I like that idea. No, you have. They call it melatonin. No, I think it, I was. I think I was talking about other drugs. Well, you you've been in situations. Yeah. And there's been melatonin used or used used used. used? I'm trying. I'm new to the English language. Yeah, I don't know um, what you're talking about. And so you you would said that it, maybe the problem is you're not getting enough sleep. You shouldn't be taking a pill to try to get you to go to sleep. Just well, unless you need get it, get better yeah. sleep, right? I mean, I take uh, little green pills um, filled with little uh, quill juice, right? Because you have a cold. You're not trying to, yeah. In you know, and by help the way, I didn't know this. Did you guys know this? So they go out in um, the jungles in, in Brazil. Who's they? They, the people, the gatherers, okay. the harvesters of oh. quill. Okay, and they they go. Um, and I think they have to go find the quillberry. Really? And then they they squeeze it. I think they they put it into a big vat, and then people step on it and squeeze it between Ugh. their toes, and then they you know strain it through terry cloth, and the pure essence of quill comes out. Really? Yeah. And then, mixed with a little bit of foot. Yeah. No, no, no. It's been that's been. That's been, sterilized. Yeah. Okay. And then they they put it into little capsules, and they make Nyquil out of it. But isn't it true that they have children working to put the the essence into the capsules? Yeah, but that would be the pediatric version. Okay. That's the child's <laughs> yeah. version. Yeah. It's that's usually purple. I thought it was. Uh, I thought the Flintstones made these pills. No, that's didn't the Flintstones. No, that would be the vitamin. Because those so, pills are really old, way past well, no, the expiration totally, date. Those are the only nutrients I used to get. Um, and so, anyway, it's I'm 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 really loving this quill idea. In fact, I'm thinking of starting a multi-level marketing company. Really, where I get three people under me, and then they each go get three people under them, and then they get three, and then they get three, and then we just sell lots of quill. Could I bring things full circle, please? Um, We've been talking a lot about Star Wars, a lot about Marvel, and I want to bring up the fact that Quill is actually the last name of uh, Peter Quill or Star-Lord. Huh. Surprised you didn't know that. I wouldn't. No, that shouldn't surprise you. You didn't like the Guardians of the Galaxy. No, I loved it. But I... Maybe that's why, because you are a big fan of the Quill. I love the Quill. I've only really loved the quill. I only love it when I'm sick. But when I'm sick, well, quill... that's really only when you should be taking it. That's a great point. And by the way, there's 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 two quills. There's day and nigh. <laughs> and I prefer day. Okay. 
Yeah. Anyway, lots to cover today. We we're going to uh, we've got of course empty news coming up in a few minutes after we get to Terry's news segment, and then we're going to be doing a little revisit uh, to an interview we did about when religion and work con- conflict and create you know issues in your mm-hmm. life, um, which is just you know that can happen to any of us and all of us at any time. So uh, let's start there. Uh, Terry, what else should we be paying attention to in the world out there? Paul Ryan could be leaving Congress by the end of 2018, not much, or if not much sooner, as we've talked about. Sooner, wow. Politico spoke with three dozen people close to Ryan, and none of them believed that the Speaker of the House would still be in Congress after 2018. On the verge of passing tax reform, one of his major goals since entering Congress in 1999, sources say Ryan wants to use 2018 to tackle his other more politically risky goal, reforms to Social Security, Medicare, and the rest of the social safety net. Ah. Which means cuts. But you know, what? what's driving him away? What's driving people out? Well, it says they say Ryan would serve through 2018, then retire before the next Congress is seated. Sources say Ryan doesn't want to campaign alongside Trump in 2020, feels like he is running a daycare. And wants to spend time with his actual children instead. Close <laughs> friends tell CNN Ryan is suffering from Trump hostion. Like, not exhaustion, but Trump hostion. I totally is get that. Is that a new word? Dur- during this week's press conference, Ryan denied that he's quitting Congress soon. He goes, I ain't going anywhere, he told reporters when asked about the rumor. So it's spelled Trump and then H A U S T I O N. Yeah. Hyphenated, of course. Trump Hosh. It is so true, though. It's so annoying to watch other people's kids. You like spending time with your own kids, but other kids? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I have I have Trumpomitis, which is an infl- inflammation of the Trump. Yeah, but that's because of your grankles. Bringing it back to grankles. Wow. Always putting down grandma. So rude. Uh, in other news, within minutes of the SCC voting 3-2 to two to kill the Obama-era net neutrality rules, by the way, which had not gone into effect, so oh. nothing really huh. changes. But, oh, you okay. know, they yeah. were out there, they were proposed, and they hadn't been put into effect yet. Uh, New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman had, an, uh, had announced plans to file a multi-state lawsuit over the decision, which he claims is illegal. And he wasn't alone. Washington State Attorney General Bob Ferguson also announced plans to sue, allowing Internet service providers to discriminate based on content undermines a free and open Internet, he said. Hmm. USA Today reports Netflix and Twitter immediately called out the decision to end net neutrality with both calling the FCC vote misguided. Netflix says net neutrality ushered in an unprecedented era of innovation, creativity, and civic engagement. Twitter calls ending the rules a body blow to innovation and free expression. Yeah. Both, both have promised to fight the decision in court. The Trump administration supports the FCC's effort to roll back burdensome regulations, but we certainly support a free and fair Internet, Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders said. Now, hold on. Can you say that line one more time? We, meaning the Trump yeah, administration, administration, supports the FCC's effort to roll back burdensome regulations, but... We certainly support a free and fair internet. Okay. Okay. So roll back the roll back yeah. the regulations, but we need it free. It, yeah, but it's not going to be free. Well, it's even going to be less free. Well, no. What they're saying is now you've taken away the rules, and the people who control the internet, the people you buy your internet connection from, can now implement policies that would make it unfair. And there's no laws stopping them from doing that. But, but they they all say they're not going to do that. Well, they're very. Big liars. 
not to be rude, but that's that's the thing is they they're here to make money. No one's done anything, but a large portion of the country does not trust their internet yeah. service provider to do the right thing. That's the problem. That's exactly. So they right. would like the FCC to keep a rule in there to make you know, keep them honest, keep your uh, your internet service provider honest. But the FCC is like, we don't make rules out of speculative speculative situations. Yeah. Right. Mm. So that's what they're taking it away. Right, right. Now, what they're saying though is, if your ISP does something, please report it to us. And then. Oh, then we'll it, take care of if it. If there's several hundred thousand of you that report oh, it, yeah. then we'll do something like that. Do not call list. There you go. That, that doesn't work at all. That you still get calls from. Yeah. Actually, the minute you put your name on the list, you get more calls. It's a very uh, interesting, multifaceted discussion with this. A Long Island woman stands accused of trying to launder Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies to ISIS, according to an incident unsealed Thursday by the U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of New York. Uh, Zubia Chenez, a 23-year-old American citizen, was charged with bank fraud and money laundering, and according to the indictment, she tried to travel to Syria. She was arrested Wednesday. Uh, Bridget Road, the U.S. attorney, says that the woman tried to put thousands of dollars into the coffers of terrorists. <coughs> coffers. Turn your head. <laughs> In Don't other news. Just keep your head straight. And um, back to more news. Yeah. <laughs> U.S. Attorney in Utah prosecuting a multi-million dollar opioid drug ring. They're moving quickly to sell seized Bitcoin that has exploded in value. When they seized it, it was worth $500,000. Now it's worth $8.5 million. What? Now, uh, Jeff had a seized Bitcoin a once. seized Bitcoin. Yeah. That is crazy money. So I remember this guy because when the story came out I looked up his house yeah it was a super nice neighborhood he lived in really? and he was running this massive drug operation that was supplying most of the western US out of his front room of his house it felt like that's one of the biggest operations they've ever broke out so then he'd go buy bitcoin and then probably only at the time maybe had you know $40,000 worth yeah and now it's worth 8.5 8.5 million dollars yeah and I was like, wow, look at that neighborhood. Nobody in that neighborhood knew that across the street was this guy just pushing fentanyl and oxy and all this stuff but out really, his front door. The police may not even have known they seized Bitcoin, right? Because all it all it would be no, is they a knew. code. But it's a code on the on a website, right? It's it's on, no, the guy you keep the wallet, the virtual wallets on your computer. So yeah. they, they found it. So all they really did, they thought they seized a computer. Right. And then in the computer, they found 8.5. This is what's going to be crazy. There's a day in the future when it's all going to be about, hey, yeah, we got that guy's phone, and now they own a billion dollars in Bitcoin. Right. That's crazy. Well, then here's the other idea. All money is already virtual. So hmm. think about so, that. So why can't he just keep the password in his head? I don't know. You they don't go into it. They're just talking about the money here. You couldn't remember any of everywhere. your passwords. I can't the other remember day. anything. Yeah, and these are these are not these are the long passwords. You don't put yeah. on, on a Bitcoin. You don't put like password one two three four. Yeah. You don't do that. It's yeah. a long. You don't put complicated. Sassy the pony. Sassy the pony. That's 40, yours, isn't it? <laughs> or Fourteen. Look at my nice hat that I yeah. just bought for this photo op. Yeah, you don't put that. <laughs> uh, and finally, people are increasingly taking Uber. Instead of ambulances to get to the hospital, the new research suggests. <laughs> really? Now, this is a non-peer-reviewed research paper. What does that mean, Matt? Non-peer-reviewed you are means the it's one person, one professor's research, but there won't be any other professors pushing back on it, suggesting right. other changes. So would anecdotal 
be a word you could use with but this it, it research? Could actually, well, it could, it could still be research. So okay. it's not anecdotal. Might just be right the story that you heard. Right. But but this this is actually research they performed. Yes. But by the way, you can perform that on Chimp Monkey. Right. Or you can report it on. You can do it on with like twenty nine people. Yeah. So you're not getting a huge right. sample of of the population. But 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 you are showing a possible trend. Exactly. And this might actually be giving me an idea for a new business. So. For uh, this research paper, two researchers, uh, economics professors, looked at ambulance usage in 766 U.S. cities upon the arrival of Uber between 2013 and 2014. So Uber moves into the market. How does it affect ambulance services? And it says uh, they tell the Mercury News that when Uber came to a city, ambulance usage dropped by at least 7% using the most conservative numbers. They say they expect it to increase 10 to 15% as Uber continues to expand as an alternative for people. Uber is not necessarily thrilled about this development. Uber is not a substitute for law enforcement or medical professionals, a spokesperson says. In the event of any medical emergency, we always encourage people to call 911. (laughs) But the researchers say Uber subbing for ambulances isn't always a bad thing. For people who aren't having a medical emergency, Uber is a much more cost-effective option than an ambulance. Maybe they're going to start delivering pizzas next. Wouldn't that be great? They already are. They're delivering food. They're delivering products. Uber delivers everything. Babies to pizza. What? You can get it right right to your house. Mm Mm-hmm. Why haven't I heard about this? Haven't you heard of Uber Kids R Us? Is that they, like a daycare? They deliver kids. They deliver children. Oh, I thought you were going to say that, like you could call an Uber and they'd hold a daycare in they their have car. A, yeah, you know, you can do that too. It just, a you just pay by the mile. A part-time OBGYN <laughs> rolls in the door right there. Can you take my child on a ride? He needs to go to sleep and he only falls asleep in an Uber. <laughs> <laughs> Won't that be the day that you call the Uber to, you know. To be your parent. Yeah, check it out. They could deliver nachos to your house. You wouldn't even have to leave. Shh, See, now that I would sign up for. Don't give him ideas like that. I feel bad for They're him. trying to get into package delivery. They're trying to get into all kinds of ideas on how to get items from point A to point B. And they have all these people driving around. It gives them yeah, something else to do. service. When it's not a person you're moving, there's product to move to. Mm-hmm. Uh... Can you imagine now in a skyscraper in New York, you'll have like 50 Ubers in front of the building just to get packages? And what in. about the bicycle messenger? What about yeah, what about, what about him? Yeah, what about Petey, the bicycle messenger? Speaking of – There he is. There he is. He just drove by our window. Um, oh. Speaking of Petey, let's get to uh, our empty news segment with uh, Petey Simpson. The empty news team, first on the scene, fifth on facts. Petey, what have you got for us? Sometimes I feel like you're stabbing me in the back. Really? Yeah. Why? Uh, which is interesting because this story is oh, about the... a stabbing. Okay. Usually not something we talk about in the MT News no, segment it seems of the show. Very aggressive. But uh, there's a Florida homeowner. Uh, he had his surveillance video rolling when an unknown person is seen exiting a vehicle, runs toward a giant inflatable snowman in the front yard and appears to stab it Ooh, with a wow. knife. Really? Yes. The owner posted the surveillance video on Facebook hoping someone might be able to identify the individual. It's yeah. unclear whether police are investigating the incident, which occurred on December 1st. I don't know if this ah. is that big of a deal. Not not a huge fan of the yard inflatable. Why? why? What so, is... Wait, are you saying you did it? No, but I mean, eh. I mean, I understand it's destruction of personal property and all, but yard inflatables. Maybe, yeah. maybe there's a time and a place, and 
and in your front yard and all year long is not the place. Oh, boy. Somebody's got – I think there's always a place for a yard inflatable. In your front yard? Yeah. Somebody stabbed your inflatable when you were younger, didn't they? No, I just don't think they – Look great. <laughs> okay, I got some floppy snowman. I like to see him, yeah, blowing in the wind. This one uh, is all Maybe the way like in a used car lot. They're good there. there you go. mm-hmm. This one's all the way in Beijing. Uh, there have been a number of proposals over the years put forward about how to address Beijing's air quality problems, from smog sucking towers, bikes, and vacuum cleaners. Wow! To simply banning every single last barbecue from within city limits. So far, none of these ideas have worked, but we have a really good feeling about the next one. A Chinese man has submitted a patent application for his fan away smog plan. Fa- say that again. Fan, fan away. Okay. Yeah. What's, smog plan. What's the plan? Which is exactly like it sounds. He proposes that Beijing's population be mobilized, given large handheld fans, and instructed to all fan them in the same direction. Are you serious? To drive harmful airborne particulates out of a China's out of China's capital city. Okay. Now, why would you need a patent for that? Um, well, you don't want anyone else to pick up the idea that you could make a fan and then blow it. I mean, cross it across your face, for example, and blow fumes away from your face. You don't want anyone else to get that thought. I mean, really, it's just getting together like 100,000 of your buddies and saying, okay, everybody bring a fan. We're going to have a big party and blow it this way. It doesn't require a patent, right? Well, unless you want to make money on it. I guess that's true. Yeah. And then one more. Yeah. Did you ever think shoes could cause a mistrial? No. They can't. Really? Well, uh, if you spend enough time in a courthouse and lawyers will say they come to expect the unexpected. Last week, while wrapping up a jury trial in Fort Worth, Texas, Phil Hall says he and other attorneys were shocked when a Tarrant County deputy came into their courtroom and headed straight to the judge. Okay? Yeah. Maybe a little suspect, right? Right. They handed her a paper, Hall said. The judge just looks down and she looked puzzled. Mm-hmm. Turns out one of the jurors had been caught on surveillance video only moments earlier taking a pair of shoes near the security entrance to the courthouse. The video shows a female attorney switching between walking shoes and heels, but forgetting to grab the shoes after she puts on the heels. A short time later, a man approaches the same area and after looking around for a couple of minutes, puts the shoes in his backpack. <gasps> What? It was all on video, Hall said, but I couldn't believe it. The judge simply told us there was suspicion of a juror on our jury caught on video taking the shoes. What? Hall said he was nervous that a mistrial may be declared, but that they were able to push forward with finishing the trial. There was a real question for us. What do we do? Yeah. If we had asked for a mistrial, would the judge grant it? Once approached about the shoes, the juror handed them over. No charges were filed. The shoes were safely returned and no charges were brought, but it was very strange, he said. The judge has been on the bench at least a couple of decades and said she'd never had anything like that happen yeah. in the history of her being on the bench. A well, crime committed from one of the jurors who is... During the trial. Yes. That's messed. Crazy. Plus, who wants other people's shoes? I know, right? Yuck! I would never even buy those. I would never even buy those secondhand, let alone take them secondhand. You know, yeah, you see no, them totally. in the thrift stores all the uh-huh. time. Who buys those? Yeah, there's some things you just don't want secondhand or second foot. 
Know what I mean? <laughs> Settle down. Settle down. Don't make me take you out to the shed. Hey, got a lot straight ahead. We're going to be talking about when religion and work conflict. Uh, giving you some guidance, some tools to make it through just life. That's what we do here on the show. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Since 2007, the number of complaints for religious discrimination filed with the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission has risen significantly. It's not hard to see why an increase in immigrants of diverse faiths, greater workforce diversity, and the globalization of businesses all play a role in more workers from different religious backgrounds meeting on the job. For many employers, it is only a matter of time before they face conflicts between religion and work. So as an employee or a boss, what do you do? when this situation comes up in the workplace. A few months back, I spoke with uh, Kabring Chang, a clinical associate professor of business law and ethics at Boston University, who wrote an article covering this topic. I began the interview by asking, why are we seeing more issues with religion in the workplace? Well, I think a lot of things are happening. Exactly as you said, you know, an increased globalization of the workforce, um, more diverse religion in immigrant groups, And also, you know, a push on the side of employers to sort of bring your whole self to work. And they're very, you know, some employers um, host religious affinity groups or allow um, groups like that to use meeting spaces. So it's sort of a combination of more and different people entering the workforce and workplaces becoming sort of more open and more sort of accepting in many ways Mm. of religion in general. Um, So there's bound to be, you know, there's bound to be in any situation, you know, a conflict under some kind of circumstance. But I think these two sort of more recent trends are leading to an uptick in complaints filed at the EEOC. I mean, religious conflict at work is nothing new. Um, You know, it's been around for, you know, for years and years and years and years. Um, But I think, you know, all of those, all of these sort of recent developments um, make it a little riper than previously for for um, conflicts to arise. One of the um, things that you mentioned in the article was the the situation that happened recently at a Cargill facility Mm. in Fort Morgan, Colorado. Talk to us about that, because it, it, it seems to lay a pretty nice foundation for one example of what could happen. Yeah, so this case, um, and it is a case, a a complaint was filed in March. Um, You know, I think about this case, and I think it's really hard to see. It's hard to see a clear direction. And granted, you know, we don't know exactly what happened, but what we do know is Cargo, this cargo plant in Colorado is a meat processing facility. Um, so it works on a very regimented schedule with ships. You know, they have to disassemble a certain number of cattle per day. Um, it's a very regimented workforce and line. Um, so they have had um, an influx of uh, Muslim employees, and these particular employees, I think the majority of them are Ethiopian and Muslim faith. Um, 
in this little town for many, many years. And according to Carville managers, they've always had a religious accommodation policy. And they have tried, um, you know, to make the workers feel welcome. They Mm -hmm. created two spaces for prayer and reflection. Uh, And then on one day in particular, um, 11 employees asked uh, their manager for their five-minute break to go pray. And the manager, this is, like I said, so much of this is in dispute. Um, According to one side, you know, the manager said, well, we don't have enough people on the line to process everything we need to process, so could you go in smaller groups? I can't let 10 of you get off the line at once, so could you go in smaller groups? The other version uh, goes something like when the employee asked the supervisor, the supervisor said, you know, there's too much prayer going on. We're not going to have prayer breaks anymore. Um, you know, you can go now, but we have to change our policy. There's too many prayer breaks. Um, so two very different stories. Mm. But nevertheless, the employees took their prayer break, um, and then 10 out of the 11 um, resigned that night. Wow. And resigned at the end of their shift. And You know, over the course of three days, it grew into about a 150-employee protest. They didn't show up for work. And I guess at the end of the third day, many of them were fired because they didn't give notice that they weren't going to be missing work. And um, so they violated that absentee policy, uh, I guess, that Carville had. Hmm. Um, But you can sort of see both sides of of what happened. And, and it's a very, like I said, it's a very regimented workplace. Um, so that does put restrictions, um, practical restrictions on an employer. Well, and like, I mean, I've been to a lot of these plants as a consultant and you can't, you know, you shut down some lines, it's going to cost you like $10,000 a minute. So, sure. yeah, I bet. so it becomes a policy of $50,000 if you have to shut down the line. I mean, but you sure. also have incredibly creative people that could find better ways to rotate employees or, you know, or, or go through the process. I guess the part of it is, um, I guess it's almost anticipating it is, is a possibility instead of just having to react to these situations well, right. in the second. Right. I, I think you're absolutely right. And, and that's what makes me wonder what really is going on in this lawsuit, because if if these, if this group of religious workers have been at this plant since 2005, I mean, not all of these exact workers, but uh, there was a large influx of them in 2005 at this one cargo plant, and Carville has been sort of trying all along, I, I don't know what would have um, precipitated this one event to cause 150 people not to come back to work. Right. If, you know, so you're right. And, and I said that in the, in the article that you mentioned that, you know, there, there are ways that managers can anticipate staffing needs. And, um, it, you know, to the extent that you can anticipate, you can plan mm-hmm. ahead, which might nip this kind of thing in the bud. And, and flexibility, it seems like, too, on both sides. Um, I mean, because sometimes, you know, it could be a, a flu virus went through the town and fewer people came in because they were sick, then that's going to demand some flexibility for a day sure. in, right. in in some of this. Talk about Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. Um, teach us teach us what what really what are the rights of uh, against religious discrimination and and employment? Well, 
Okay, so under Title VII, there are five protected categories, and religion is one of them, race, gender, national origin, race, gender, national origin, religion, and color, um, for which uh, an employer cannot base an employment decision, any kind of employment decision, based on those five characteristics. Uh, With religion in particular, um, there are a couple different kinds of claims. For example, you could claim that you were treated differently because of your religion. Um, So, you know, I wasn't hired because I'm Catholic, that kind of claim. Um, What the workers in Cargill are saying is not that they were treated differently, but that the employer refused to accommodate their religious conflict. So another type of claim is is an accommodation claim. The employee notifies their employer that there's some employment practice um, that conflicts with a religious practice. And in this case, obviously, it was the time that the break needed to pray versus adequate staffing on the um, processing line. Mm-hmm. Um, once the, under, the, under Title VII, once the employee notifies the employer of the conflict, the employer has an obligation to figure out an accommodation. Um, and this is, this is not an easy thing to do. Um, you know, the law requires what's called a de minimis effort, meaning it doesn't require a ton of effort on the employer's part to accommodate. They don't, they don't have to sort of bend over backwards to figure out an accommodation. Their burden to accommodate is relatively low. Hmm. That being said, uh, the employer has to try and figure it out, but also the employee has to be willing to cooperate with the employer, to try and figure something out. So if the employer came up with an accommodation and offered it to the employee and the employee just flat out rejected it, that would absolutely work against the employee because they have an obligation to cooperate with the employer in trying to figure this out. Um, the accommodation does not have to be the employee's first best choice. Um, it doesn't actually even have to be what they asked for. Um, and it doesn't have to um, eradicate the conflict 100%. Um, it just has to reasonably accommodate the conflict. Hmm. Um, that's what the law says. Management, sort of prudent management tells us that, you know, employers really should try to work with their employees and employees should really try and be flexible because both have a lot to lose and yeah. a lot to gain you know, with this relationship. So the law says one thing, and I think, you know, gives relatively clear guidance for managers, but I think for most managers, they're, they're um, you know, they're, they're savvy and their strategy will tell them that, you know, there are probably a lot more things that they could do that would really go a long way in resolving the conflict, you know, keeping morale up, yeah. that kind of thing. Well, and it shows, I think it shows everybody in the company, how you'll be treated in in yeah. an extreme need or a scenario. I mean, this is yeah. this is a great way to not just accommodate and help the one, but it could also show, you know, we want you, we value you. A lot of companies are talking about values today and how much we care about you, and we want you to have a whole life, except not here. And so, <laughs> if if, you, right. if if that this is this is a really in, it's an interesting choice for companies. In the article, and I think in general, it's always smart to start with whatever ethics, 
policy or value statement um, that a company might already have. It seems sort of, um, not useless, but it, it seems sort of light um, and not, you know, not very practical and not very um, effective, but it goes a long way in establishing a culture and an environment where people generally, religion or any other issue, generally feel accepted and supported. Um, so my first suggestion would be to look at what already exists at your, at your place of work in terms of an ethics policy and see what it says about equal treatment regardless of traits like religion or, you know, whatever else. Yeah, make sure um, you've got one. Yeah, make sure you have <laughs> one. And if you don't, write one and include equal treatment of all employees. Um, and putting it on paper is a good first step, but then, of course, it's, it's meaningless unless you actually sort of live that. So, um, you know, at employee meetings or um, whatever sort of regular meetings there might be, um, you know, mentioning it uh, goes a long way in establishing that this is going to be a workplace where we're not going to tolerate this kind of thing, but also where we're also going to welcome everyone because, you know, given everyone's differences in that, it's it's sort of, it all it's all good. It's all kind of what makes us smart and profitable and diverse and thoughtful and creative and all of these great things. So have it codified somewhere, but also talk about it. Make sure your employees know that it's something that's important. Um, You know, some employees, some, some businesses go so far as to have it, you know, on posters or on plaques or, you know, just up around the office. And it, it it seems like I said, it, it seems, like not a very effective um, way of communication, but in setting a culture, it's it's kind of a, a, a small move that actually has a lot of impact. Yeah. Um, so that would be one thing to do. Um, in sort of more practical day-to-day things, look at the existing um, policies that you have in terms of time off, in terms of dress codes, um, anything that you think might possibly be impacted by a religious observance. So, you know, dress codes could um, definitely impact a religious observance with um, headscarves or wearing skirts versus pants, um, maybe wearing religious jewelry. Um, You know, so look at your dress code to make sure that it's flexible enough that um, if someone wore a headdress, that would not be in violation of whatever you have. You don't have to say specifically you're welcome to wear a headdress. Yeah, right. Um, but make your make your um, uh, dress code, if you have one, sufficiently broad that all of these things are included, that, that it wouldn't possibly rule something out based on that. Um, the same is true for time off. Um, if employers have, um, you know, a set, period of time or a set policy where there's a flexible number of days off that an employee doesn't have to say what they're using it for, mm-hmm. that could give employees a lot of room um, to <clears throat> fulfill religious observances. Um, a fixed number of, of days off that could be used for different reasons, for no reason, um, that gives employees a lot of flexibility in terms of whatever observances they might have. And it prevents conflict. If they've got this little pool of time that they can use however they want, um, 
it, it allows them an avenue yeah. to observe whatever whatever they need, um, whatever needs observing. Because um, you you could not not to interrupt Cabrina, but you sure. could you could um, have a lot of your holidays you know geared around religious holidays, religious yeah. uh, where where people would go practice a, an Easter or a Christmas, and um, I, I I wonder if. You don't have to not do that, but you could also just open up the policy to be able to use your time whenever you want to use your time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, um, you know, many employers are starting to um, starting to do things like that and not have it specifically, you know, we're going to be closed for the two days leading up to Christmas, where employees can take those two days if they want, mm-hmm. um, or the day after Easter, or... Um, Right, anything like that. It it just it just avoids a lot of potential headaches for employers and employees because employees don't want the conflict to happen either. Um, and lastly, and, and this was something that didn't immediately jump out at me, um, but dietary restrictions, um, kosher restrictions, or other dietary restrictions. You know, if um, if where you work has an open kitchen. Where I work has a refrigerator. <laughs> yeah. There could be other places that have, you know, a, a larger setup. Um, or if um, there's a cafeteria where you work or um, if where you work routinely orders lunch, keeping just in, you know, in the back of your mind that there could be some religious dietary restrictions. There's also another easy, low, like not, not a lot of heavy lifting, but an easy thing to do that could really be a very meaningful step for some employees um, and very easy to do on the part of management. Um, so, and then like we talked about earlier, anticipating ticks in staffing. Um, in the Cargill case, um, you know, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure. You know, it seems to me that their, their processing line is so regimented um, I, I'm not really sure what their uptick in production, where or whether that might come, but they're, they're so regimented um, that that's, that's very tricky. Um, but if you're at a place of employment that is not so regimented um, as a meat processing line that has to, you know, that has to have a certain productivity level every single shift, um, you know, it might be worth it to sit down and think about um, when is your office the busiest? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's easy to see, you know, around tax season, if you're a, certainly an accountant, but financial planner, that kind of thing, or earnings reportings or holiday retail, um, or if you're in higher education, you know, the beginning of semesters, um, you know, it might be worth it to sit down and think about uh when your highest productivity and staffing needs are um, and when your low points are, because that that will help you identify places where you really don't have a lot of room to work with and other places where you do. And identifying those, because the accommodation process is really supposed to be a give and take, by identifying those sort of peaks and valleys, you might be able to find some kind of creative solution. Mm. Yeah. Well, and it seems like this is one of the dynamics of HR is as you're hiring and hiring more diverse groups, then mm-hmm. you probably you have to like proactively 
start anticipating the needs. It's almost like the HR department needs to actively come down and talk to the managers and find out what requests are being made. What 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 you know what are uh, you know what um, accommodations are being asked for even just subtly or quietly. Right, and that's an excellent way, by the way, of phrasing it. You would never want an HR person or anyone to sort of go around and ask employees, yeah. "What's your religion? Yeah. And what do you think you might need?" We're noticing there's uh, we're noticing there's more people from Ethiopia coming in now. So, right. yeah, that is you can't uh, do that. But but asking, have there been requests for accommodations? I think that is a, a perfectly reasonable and smart thing to ask. Um, especially if you're trying to really be proactive and creative and trying to figure out how to make all of this work. Mm. Um, that might be, that might be one, one way to go. And as I said in the article, and, and I don't see that it has changed, you know, in, in Colorado, in this cargo plant, both sides um, sort of have lost. You know, the, yeah. the, the Muslim workers don't feel um, as though they've been sort of heard and respected, and plus they're out of job. Right. But Cargill is also out a lot of really good employees. And in fact, Cargill, after after they fired um, the employees, and they said that was not, that's not something we take easily. That was something that was difficult to do. They changed their rehiring policy. It, it used to be that if you got laid off, you had to wait 180 days to reapply. They changed that to 30 days to make it easier for these employees if they wanted to come back. Oh, wow. To make it easier for them to come back. Yeah. Um, I, that doesn't, of course, solve the underlying issue. Um, but it certainly makes it clear that both sides, obviously, have a lot to lose if this doesn't work and a lot to gain if they can make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, the, so. the, the message I keep hearing um, over and over, though, is really – uh, businesses accommodate and uh, employees cooperate. Right. Yeah. Adapt. Right. Work together. Yeah. Don't become enemies on this. And 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 I guess every individual needs to seriously check their bias. Are you are sure. you biased about this and and change? Right. And and that cannot go. Um, that that has to be sort of acknowledged in in all of this. That you absolutely have to have that in the forefront of your mind about it is bias towards Muslims or in this case Muslims or whatever the group may be, you, you always have to keep in the front of your mind is, you know, I have to check my bias. You're exactly right because, you know, the bias could be subconscious. Mm. Um, so I think that's a, a great point to mention and that both have to be flexible. Both have to be flexible, the employer and the employee in trying to figure this out. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's great advice, which is why I loved the article, Cabrina. Cabrina Chang oh, is her name. You. you did great. Keep keep writing, right? We need, we need more <laughs> insight you. like this. Thank you very much. You bet. And thank you for being with us. Oh, my pleasure. You, you bet. Cabrina Chang, uh, folks, keep reading her on HBR and you can, um, you can also Go to Cyber Law, Management and Entrepreneurship, which is a book that uh, she has written in. Uh, written um, interesting insight, isn't it? It's it's accommodation and cooperation. It's easy to have the rights, you know, and to argue the rights, but we also have to cooperate in the process of finding a better solution for everybody. 
Um, so make sure you're willing to be a cooperative manager and employee and make sure that we're willing to accommodate as the law prescribes and just really as your character prescribes and, and defines that you should do. So interesting stuff. We'll take a break. Come back. Continue the discussion. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. It's a house of bows. Welcome back, friends. McKenna Baus in the house with a little mind bender. Apparently, we're going back to uh, the Jurassic Park movie and recreating dinosaurs. Uh, Not dinosaurs, but we are in the process of resurrecting, per se, extinct animals. Really? Yeah. This is exciting. It's really cool. So in the Jurassic Park movies, you know, the whole thing is they find some preserved dinosaur DNA in some amber, yeah. and they're able to use that to bring the dinosaurs back. And what they've done is it's with the Tasmanian tiger. They had preserved some specimens and realized that some of the quality of the DNA was good enough that they were able to map out its whole genome. Wow. And are looking at starting the process. They think it'll probably be 10 years before they can really do it. Bringing this guy back. That now, then I mean, then then you've got to get to the discussion of should we bring him back? Yeah, I mean, um, you, that definitely. you're going to unleash the kraken. Yeah. So one of the reasons mm. that they're thinking, you know, hey, Tasmanian tiger might be a good candidate is the whole reason it went extinct was completely human related. It wasn't a combo really of environmental and human factors. This is a case of humans just yeah. completely killing. Interesting. Okay. So, boy, and if this can happen with that, I mean, what eventually we can pretty much we'll be able to recreate anything someday. Well, that's what we you know, that that's the hope. The biggest problem is finding high enough quality DNA. No, by the way, that's that's the same problem we have today with a lot of humans on this. earth. I mean, valid. Right. Trying to find high quality DNA, human DNA. Well, that's great stuff. Any um, uh I guess I'm assuming this is also probably going to help other medical breakthroughs, other research that's being done. I mean, this isn't just to make dinosaurs come back to life. I think a lot of this, it's sort of the idea of increasing biodiversity and the overall quality of our environments. Because whenever we do lose an animal to extinction, yeah. that whole ecosystem gets thrown out of whack. And that has a lot of repercussions oh, yeah. that sort of down the line really do affect us as humans, whether or not it's because a certain food source is gone, another animal dies, another animal grows out of control and starts hunting us, uh, or yeah. you know, plants don't get fertilized or don't get controlled the way they should, which threatens our crops. A lot of different things. But if we're able to bring back that biodiversity, overall quality of life is going cool. to increase. Cool stuff. McKenna Baus just blew our mind. There may be a day, folks, in the future when we are going to have dinosaurs roaming again. But your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. <gasps> Such a great question. Maybe we shouldn't. So why is, why is Jeff Goldblum right there? That's right. McKenna, thank you very much. And uh, we're going to continue the journey straight ahead. We'll find out what's coming up on Screen Cleaning, the last hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Straight ahead, this is the Matt Townsend Show, along with Jeff Simpson, by the way, who will be hosting Screen Cleaning. You know, doing what we can to help you be the good in the world.
Okay, really quickly, uh, Jeff, you've got uh, the next hour of the Matt Townsend Show. You'll be hosting it doing the screen cleaning hour. What are we talking about in that show? Well, we're going to be speaking with Rod Gustafson, who's going to be talking about a little little flick that's coming out today that uh, I think some people are going to go see. I uh, wonder what it is. Um, we're also going to be speaking about different holiday entertainment ideas other than movies. Super exciting. We're going to be talking to a local theater owner. As well as we are going to be finding the good in the bad and the ugly in our Silver Lining Cinema segment. Excellent. Sounds yes. like a great show. It is a great show. Screen cleaning is the name of it. It's just about uh, an hour, no, a minute away, but it'll go for an hour. Uh, Jeff will be hosting that. I'm out of here, my friends. We'll be back Monday. Uh, thanks for joining us and being a part of our lives. We love being a part of yours. And until Monday, make it a great one. Welcome to the show. This is Screen Cleaning, and boy, oh boy, have we got a great show for you today. We've got a jam-packed show. We're going to be speaking with our good friend Rod Gustafson. Uh, He's going to tell us about a little movie that's coming out. Uh, It's out. You've probably heard of it. Um, If you haven't, I'm a little worried. Uh, There's also another movie that he'll talk to us about uh, called Ferdinand. But we're also going to try to find the good in the bad and the ugly in another Silver Lining Cinema Christmas Edition segment. And we're also going to be giving you some more holiday entertainment ideas other than movies and TV and games. This one's a good one. We're going to be speaking with a local theater owner here in just a bit. And, of course, we'll speak with our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. But here on Screen Cleaning, which we do every Friday at 9 a.m. Mountain Time, 11 a.m. Eastern, we try to bring you the very best in entertainment news from the past week. And this week, we're going to let Cole share with us some great news uh, in entertainment news. Cole, what's going on? The very best news is in movie release news. Because really? Because today, Star Wars comes out. And today <gasps> is a very special episode of Screen Cleaning because we are a Star Wars spoiler-free zone. That's in right. In this area right now in Studio 2. Yes. Mainly because neither of us have actually seen it yet, but also because we want to respect our listeners. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. And so the the trick is going to be... Talking to Rod about the movie without him telling us anything about the movie. Well, in again, in listeners' defense, neither of us have seen it either, and we want to avoid the spoilers just as much, if not more, <gasps> than all of you do. I just realized something. We're going to be speaking with BYU Sports Nation at the end of the hour. They have seen it. And in fact, I think they're gearing up for a Star Wars-centric show today. We will temper their excitement just okay. a little bit, put it in a box. Save it for later. This is kind of an anomaly that they see a movie before you and I do, Cole. It's kind of true. <laughs> okay, we'll see what we can do. Okay, there is, there's other news to okay. be had as well because we're going to get to Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Plenty, plenty. Um, in the best movie studio, maybe Monopoly news, uh, 20th Century <gasps> Fox. I knew you were going to bring 21st this. <laughs> Century Fox. Because I sort of brought it up a couple weeks ago when we were talking about comic books. Yeah. Disney. Mm-hmm. has bought for an estimated price, um, and it's a big estimate, right? $52 billion with a B, as in billion yes. dollars. Um, it's a number I'm, I've heard of, but I will never see. No. Yeah. I, I cannot conceive of the number no. $52 billion. No. The yeah. Disney has bought the movie arm of 20th Century Fox or 21st Century Fox for $52 billion. This includes properties such as The X-Men, The Fantastic Four, um, even Avatar, 
We're talking about mm-hmm. The Simpsons are within mm-hmm. this little arm. Uh, there are a lot of movie and television properties that are within Fox. It even includes a little part of Hulu. Remember, Hulu was kind of like Fox's go-to yeah. streaming place. Mm-hmm. Disney now has a little bit of that, even though they're still trying to roll out their own thing as well. Yeah. So I gather uh, you are excited about this news. I'm excited about the potential. Um, okay. I'm a little disappointed in the competitive like capitalist enterprises sure. that it might be implicating that Disney now pretty much owns everything you will ever see ever. I, I'm not a fan of that. I'm also not a fan of the Avengers meeting up with the X-Men. I think a lot of our heads will explode, first of all. But then also, whatever happened to just simple stories? Like, I didn't see Logan, but that was kind of its own little thing. It was a smaller film. Had its own thing going. It New kind of slowed down. Is already in production and done and being advertised for that Fox mm. did that's an X-Men thing that's outside the normal X-Men things. We were talking about this on the show. Imagine how many smaller films you could make with a $250 million budget that they spend on one of these Marvel films, you know? But they wouldn't have CGI in them. That's a, that's a good thing, especially uh, apparently if you've seen Justice League, you don't have to deal with Henry Cavill's mustache that's not all CGI'd the way CGI'd out, yeah. I think the good news here is for Fantastic Four. Uh, before – let's picture a world before 2008 when the Marvel slash Disney slash everything That universe, was a simpler time. It was a good time. They told us what the good Marvel properties were. By using whatever they had left because the actual ones that people cared about back in 2008 were the Fantastic Four, the X-Men, the Incredible Hulk, Spider-Man. Those were the guys that had their own movies and people loved. So now after years of seeing really terrible versions of the Fantastic Four (laughs) on the big screen, we might get a good version of the comic book heroes that I loved when I was a little kid before we got into this new wave of movies being everything. Cole, why don't, don't hold back. Why don't you tell us what you really feel? I miss the Fantastic oh, Four. Oh, my goodness. I watched the little cartoon where in the opener, Reed Richards' arm was trying to like push one of the levers and it accidentally shot out. Uh, I have no idea what you're talking about. I know, but I do. See? And I'm I'm okay. Like Life goes on and I, I live a full... Happy life without any knowledge of what you just said. I know. (laughs) Anyway, I I thought this would be interesting to talk about. The Library of Congress every year will come out with selections to – that are inductees into the Library of Congress, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, this year, I was surprised to hear the very first pick on this list. The Goonies has been inducted into the Library of Congress. Can you believe that? I mean, I love it. It's a great film. I'm just surprised. You know, it hasn't been around as long as some of these other films, and I'm surprised that, uh, you know, it would be considered culturally important. (laughs) It's something that that... I would put in a time capsule for sure. Okay. Uh, Titanic is also on the list. Mm -hmm. Field of Dreams, another great one. Uh, Die Hard, which is another one that kind of surprised me, but one well, that's tis the season. That's true. Mm-hmm. For some reason, people associate it with Christmas. I guess it's because it's an action movie that takes place at a Christmas party. Right? Wouldn't that be exciting if that happened at the the? Well, I shouldn't say that particular terrorist attack. If that happened at the BYU broadcasting party, but what if something really exciting happened at our party today, or at the student party coming up? True. 
Also, did you know that Jumanji, at the end of Jumanji, there's also a Christmas party? So Jumanji is a little bit of a Christmas oh, movie as well. Oh, that's a stretch. Uh, here are some others. We've got La Bamba. This is the, probably the most surprising to me. I did not see La Bamba. But isn't that one that people don't even know about anymore? They know about the song. Right, but they know little about the Lou Diamond Phillips biopic La Bamba. Correct. Okay. Superman, the 1978 version, Superman. The movie. Not my favorite superhero film, um, but that's okay. The 2000 thriller Memento. Now that is a great film that we can't really talk about on the show, but Memento and... How has this one not been inducted into the movie library or the Library of Congress? Dumbo from 1941. It it got there on the older ballot. You know, whenever they do the Hall of Fame, they always have like the new inductees and then yeah. the veteran committee gets their vote. Uh, that's Dumbo this year. They just kind of the, – the oldies get to sneak one in every year and it's, they got that one. It's so interesting that it, 1941, we're talking like 75 years. I don't want to do the math, but that sounds close enough. It's pretty old. You mentioned <laughs> Memento. It's one of Christopher Nolan's earlier works. Mm-hmm. Christopher Nolan's new works might be getting some recognition because it is awards season, Jeff, in the best – Movie Awards news this week. The Golden Globe nominees That's were announced. True. And that means this every week from now until February, someone's going to be announcing who's winning or being nominated for awards. I think there's a ceremony, an award ceremony every night of the week. I'm excited. I will watch all of them. <laughs> uh, and Dunkirk, Christopher Nolan's newest film, has been nominated for Best Drama. Other PG-13 or PG movies being nominated for Best Drama or Comedy Slash Musical are The Post. Yes. Uh, to come out with Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep about the Washington Post and The Greatest Showman featuring Wolverine. That's of right. 20th Century Fox. Movie. And we talked about on Matt's show how, th- <laughs> well, clearly it's not reflective of, of what the audiences are going to see because most of these films are more obscure and a lot of them aren't even released yet. As awards season things tend to be. But we'll, right. keep, our, we'll keep our thumb on the pulse. Of okay. awards as well. Well, I know what I'm hoping will win is not the same film that you're hoping will win because you were not as big of a fan of Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk as I was. But it's okay. It's a good movie. And it represents the, the family-friendly crowd. And it's a good reminder to me ones. that uh, we're not all perfect, Cole. That's all I'm going to say as we go Thanks. to break. When we return, we're going to be speaking with our good friend Rod Gustafson. See if we can get him to not talk about Star Wars. We'll be right back. I went to BYU with the intention of finishing my degree. Along the way, things got a little bit busy. I always had that idea that I was going to go back, but as a non-traditional student, I just felt that uh, that opportunity was not going to happen until I explored what BGS really offered. The BGS program gave me more flexibility and gave me the education that I wanted. As I was walking to the podium, it uh, was almost surreal. I don't regret getting my degree through BGS. Listening to Top of Mind makes you a more informed parent. 70% of kids drop out of organized youth sports by age 13. The kids are the, the consumers. If 70% of customers you know, walked out of Target and said, we're never going back to Target, then Target would figure out a different way to do business. Top of Mind, weekdays from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio. 
BYU Radio has a show for everyone, no matter your age. Actor Age is for baby boomers, millennials, and anyone who has an age. News we get is from Facebook, from BuzzFeed. That kind of creates different ideas of what we think government should be. Different generations trying to understand each other and how they view the world. Oh, really? I put all kinds of details about me on this social media thing where everybody can look at all this stuff. Actor Age, Monday through Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio. Talk about good. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. We've got Rod Gustafson on the line from Parent Previews, and uh, he's all about trying to make you a more informed parent when deciding on which films to show your children and your families. And we are about to give Rod the most difficult task uh, imaginable, which is to talk about a movie without talking about a movie. Rod Gustafson, welcome back to Screen Cleaning. Hi, Jeff. <laughs> okay. Now, I'm going to give you some ground rules here. Um, we don't want to know about the plot. Okay. I, I'm, I'm a, even a little iffy on what the content is for younger younger people because that would give away some of the things that maybe we don't want to hear about. But I am interested to know. Uh, I, I, I noticed something very interesting in Rotten Tomatoes when I looked up this movie. It kept kind of kept going between 93 up to 95% with all the critics' voices coming in. But this morning when I looked at the audience review, it was, I think, at 65%. Now, why mm-hmm. is that? Do you think this is a film that uh, is going to be universally loved by audiences, or do you really have to be a Star Wars fan to enjoy it? You know, I'm a little bit surprised, too, that the critics are loving it as much as they are. And the audience is somewhat lukewarm. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I did. There, we'll get that little pun in right at the beginning. Luke, of course. <laughs> Luke Skywalker. Thank you. I had to walk you through that. Um, you know, it is a movie that I think is going to appeal to the Star Wars nerd more than it is going to appeal to the average Joe who is coming into the theater and saying, oh, well, let's take a look at this. I mean, first of all, make sure you watch Episode 7. I mean, even though, in my opinion, not a whole lot happened in Episode 7, enough took place that this movie picks up right where that one leaves off. So that's a prerequisite, first of all. Um, But it does, it's, it's a little too long. Now, understand, we're giving it a B plus. We liked it. And, you know, ask me in a couple of minutes about what parents need to be concerned about. I can I can dance around so we won't give anything (laughs) away. But but it it could have easily this movie could have fit in under two hours instead of being I think it's like two hours and 20 minutes. And it really does feel like they're padding it. And that they're probably, I mean, I'm, in a way, I'm one of those average Joes. I like Star Wars, but I have not read the books. I have not, you know, I, I haven't watched all the little TV series or whatever else is going along with it. I've only got time to go see the movies. Yeah. So I I think there are probably a lot of little hidden gems and whatnot. I mean, there's one, you know, there's one character that shows up in this movie and I thought, who's that? And my son came to the movie with me and he's much deeper into the Star Wars canon. And he says, oh, well, that's so-and-so and that person was introduced in this and that. And I'm thinking, well, okay. You know, so, <laughs> so I think that's part of it is that if you're an average person just looking for an action film, you're probably going to think, well, yeah, okay, been there, done that. So, uh, clearly, there 
anticipating huge numbers for this film. There's a theater here in Utah County that only has six screens, and basically they kicked all the other movies out, and they're (laughs) just showing Star Wars with, I think, two or three showings of Ferdinand and two or three showings of Coco, but everything else is Star Wars, so it's pretty much every 30 minutes. Yeah, poor Ferdinand. That's the animated movie about the bull, and he's not in a china shop. He's in space. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because, yes. But anyhow, yeah, it is incredible. I mean, the same way here. uh, In fact, like I know the theaters this time of year. This happened last year as well. Uh, The studios have a hard time booking screens for other movies, and especially for even for our screenings for the critic and uh, promo screenings, as we call them. It's hard to get a a film on the screen anywhere because Star Wars just, you know, takes over the the universe, so to speak. So, yeah, yeah, not surprised. I don't know if you remember this, but when they came out with the the prequels, I think it was back in 2000 or so, 99, Mm Uh, they didn't. They didn't really focus so much on like, okay, let's do the seven o'clock viewing on the Thursday before. But what they did was they showed it around the clock, which I don't think any other movie has done before, and I don't think it's happened since. And uh, you know, obviously, they didn't fill all of those movies. But interesting that Star Wars has so much power, and I, I, I believe now they have some sort of agreement with the theaters, like they have to. They have to guarantee them four weeks, I believe, in the theaters. Yes, yeah, yeah, they really do. They they do have a lot of pull with it. And uh, and they're also very, I mean, okay, so I live in a city of, you know, about 1.3 million people. Most of the movies pre-screen here for, for journalists, for critics, but not Star Wars. And I'm not sure they seem to have very limited screenings for it. Um, although the Prime Minister of Canada got to see it on Tuesday night, and I had to line up with everybody else on Thursday. But even, you know, even as media, we don't really have special access to it unless you live in Los Angeles or New York. So, yeah, they're very restrictive, very careful. Um, and I remember when Lucas was in charge back, those movies back in 2000, episode, you know, one, two, and three, they were even particular, they were inspecting theaters and making sure that they had the right sound system, that they had the proper projection and all of those things they had to be thx approved back then that Interesting. was of course yeah that was with the lucas's one of his technical uh, i i don't know what the right word for it is but this thx label was on a lot of home theater equipment and in theater equipment back then and uh, so yeah they were very particular about who could even show the film so rod just in closing i'm, I'm actually going to go see this film at 3 30 so we can talk again after i've seen it but uh just in closing where would you rank this film uh among all the other star wars films well well you know what it, it's a little better than episode seven i this one's got more story happening for sure i i was one of the ones i felt like episode seven was a family reunion um, and that was about it. Like, here are all your favorites back again with some new ones. Um, Rogue One set a high bar for me. I really thought they handled Rogue One very, very well. And that was a difficult movie to make uh, with that many characters and you still care about them. So having seen that bar go up so high last year, 
I was a little disappointed with this one. So, you know, it's kind of squarely in the middle. It, it, it's Star Wars, and, it, it, and that's what it delivers. And I do just want to give parents just a little bit of a heads up. Um, lots of lightsaber action in this one. That's the biggest issue. We, we discover that lightsabers go through flesh in many different ways. And, uh, and that's about <laughs> the major issue that there's going to be for parents. But there's no blood, no gore, really. Uh, we do see some dismemberment, dismemberment and that type of thing going on. So that will be scary for little kids. But otherwise, it's basically what you'd expect from Star Wars. Well, Rod Gustafson, thank you for tackling one of the most difficult tasks imaginable and talking about something without talking about it. And thank you for slightly lowering my expectations so that I know when I go see it this afternoon, I'm going to be blown away. Uh, I shouldn't have said that because now I might be disappointed. Anyway, when we return, we're going to be speaking with our good friend Joel Hilton, and we're going to be doing our Christmas edition of Silver Lining Cinema. When we return, this is Screen Cleaning. This Christmas, tune into BYU-TV for a special concert featuring the world-renowned Mormon Tabernacle Choir and opera sensation Rolando Viazan, along with pageantry and stories that celebrate the holiday season. Experience the magic of Christmas with the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Watch the premiere on Sunday, December 17th at 9 Eastern, only on BYU-TV. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. This is Jeff Simpson, and I have the privilege today to uh, perform our Silver Lining Cinema segment with our good friend Joel Hilton from the podcast Bacon Sale. It's a very entertaining podcast about entertainment. Joel Hilton, welcome back to Screen Cleaning. Thanks for having me back. After the last time, I was like, I don't know if he's going to let me back on again, but you did, and I appreciate that. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I, I'm always on the lookout for that new holiday classic. It's just hard. It's just hard to find a, one that's good and you know maybe involves a Christmas miracle and maybe Santa and maybe a love relationship that, that blooms. It's you know very difficult. but Absolutely. For our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with Silver Lining Cinemas, what we like to do is we each randomly select a film that pretty much everybody in the world considers horrible, unwatchable, just really bad. And we're going to find the good in these films. So, Joel, if you don't mind, I'm going to go first with my review of The Nutcracker, uh, The Untold Story. Please do. Okay, so let me first give you a little synopsis of this film. This film is about a little girl who, on a very uneventful and boring Christmas, uh, gets a visit by her Uncle Albert, who brings her a Nutcracker doll, of course. And later Mm -hmm. that night, this girl, Mary, dreams that the Nutcracker, called N.C., comes to life, and he takes her on a wondrous journey, and they they figure out that... The Nazi-like Rat King, who's played by John Turturro, has Hmm. usurped the Nutcracker's kingdom. Right off the bat, I I should warn uh, parents with kids that it's rather scary. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like a nightmare. But, you know, it's a beautiful nightmare. Uh, A beautiful nightmare. Yeah, it's very colorful. And the set decorations are, are just breathtaking. It's very consistent with the ballet. 
in that it makes okay. it makes just as little sense as the ballet does. Uh, the filmmakers of this of this film were very gutsy, very gutsy. They didn't credit the story that it's based on or give any credit to the story's author at all. And that takes a lot of guts. That's brave. Uh, another daring thing that they did, I thought this was so brave. There's no ballet in the film. There's no there's no ballet. Yes. And not oh. only that, but they hired Tim Rice who wrote many songs for Disney, like The Lion King and Aida. He wrote lyrics to the Nutcracker Suite. But again, no ballet during those songs. But uh, for instance, there is a song here sung by Uncle Albert, who is really Albert Einstein. Again, it it doesn't make much sense, but again, I think that was just a daring uh, choice on their part. Let me just play this little clip from this song. Down, take his give, in his out, whisper, shout, there's no doubt, it's all relative. Who's to say what is or is not? Who writes your plot? You do. So it's Uncle Albert or Albert Einstein singing a song about everything is relative. Again, to the Nutcracker Suite. Uh, the cast is just amazing. That was Nathan Lane, of course, as Uncle Albert. Yeah. There's Elle Fanning. And as I mentioned already, John Turturro. And also the the voiceover for The Nutcracker has this very grating—I'm sorry, did I say grating? I meant um, ingratiating voice. Uh. Another thing that's really remarkable about this film is the budget, $90 million, which you really want to see that they put a lot of money and thought into this. Now, unfortunately, I mean, it only made— 16 million worldwide and you know less than 200,000 of that was uh, a domestic take but oh. really i think i think that's just enough money to get this film a cult following and uh again i, I mentioned the singing john Turturro has a couple of musical numbers and i think actually most of that budget went to auto-tuning his voice and it really i mean it really pays off because his voice st- sounds stunning in this film so hmm. The Nutcracker, it might just be the new cult favorite this Christmas for you and your family. Check it out. Wow. And with a cast like that, I mean, how could you go wrong? Right. Okay, so Joel, I want to hear about Santa Claus and the Ice Cream Bunny. So Santa Claus and the Ice Cream Bunny is a timeless tale about uh, Santa Claus getting stuck on the beach, uh, his sleigh stuck on the beach in Florida. Mm. And he's down there and he's stuck. He can't get anywhere. His reindeer have flown off and gone back to the North Pole because they got too hot. And then he meets, he telepathically communicates with a group of children to come and find him and help him get out of the sand. And they bring him several animals like a, a donkey, a horse, a pig, a sheep, a gorilla, they try all these different animals to try to pull him from the sand, and they can't. So they sit around, and they're getting discouraged, but then Santa tells them a story. And uh, here's one of the amazing things about this movie. Depending on which version you see, you'll see a different story. Because in one version, you'll see him tell the tale of Thumbelina. And so it's a story within a story. Uh, the version I saw actually showed Jack and the Beanstalk. Um, but it's amazing. You don't know which version you're going to get when you start out. So um, it's always so a I new watch, experience. That's fantastic. It is, it's amazing. And let me tell you, you know, the the uh, the fairy tales they tell, they weren't long enough for a movie. So they did their best to stretch the story as long as they could. 
uh, Santa talks about how hot it is so many times. So you really know how hot he is because he keeps bringing it up over and over again. You really get that feel. Yeah. Um, they actually also were going to film a, a Huckleberry Finn story, a Tom and Huck, but they didn't, uh, they weren't able to finish it. So they just used, uh, repurposed footage from Tom and Huck and added it in. So it looked like Tom and Huck were in the forest watching Santa be stuck in the snow or in the sand. I keep wow. saying snow, but there's no snow. So wow. you get to see Tom and Huck have conversations and they're not even interacting with anyone else, but they didn't let that footage go to waste. And I think that's an important message is to not let any footage go to waste because waste not, want not. Am I right? Exactly. Also, you know, uh, notoriously, children and animals are hard to work with, but they managed to get the children and the animals to walk across the screen. And you get to see them walk from one point of the beach to other to another point of the beach with no cuts and no edits and no uh, idea what pacing is. And they allow them to just do what they want to do. And I think that's the trick is just letting them talk over each other and wander around. And uh, finally, one uh, point I think I'd like to point out is that this movie, in, in this movie, Santa wants to be presentable for the children. So even though when he's at first there and he wants to take off his his jacket and his hat, he realizes he needs to be Santa and needs to be presentable. So you see him uh, take off his jacket and then put it back on multiple times. And you get to see the process of how Santa gets dressed which is thrilling to watch multiple times as he takes off his jacket and puts it back on again. And uh, in the end, you know, the ice cream bunny, for some reason, just drives in on a fire truck and takes him uh, away, takes Santa away. And they leave his sled there for a bit, but it does, spoiler alert, it does disappear and go back to the North Pole. You don't see it, but you just assume that's where it goes. Um, so it, it's amazing to me how they're able to throw in a character right at the end that has nothing to do with anything else in the story. And they drive through a theme park for some reason, but it's all about, you know, the children and having a, a, a large creepy, uh, excuse me, um, characteristic uh, creative bunny. There's the word I'm looking for. There you go. Um, I think that is a wonderful thing to have something that doesn't even exist like an ice cream bunny. There's no real folklore surrounding him, but they created their own and added it to the, to the mythos of Santa Claus. So, there you go. You've got two new potential classics to choose from this Christmas. The Nutcracker, The Untold Story, and Santa Claus and the Ice Cream Bunny. It's a classic. His name is Joel Hilton. He's one of the hosts of the podcast Bacon Sale. Check it out. When we return, we're actually going to be speaking with Ryan Radabaugh, who's going to be talking to us about the theater. This is Screen Cleaning on The Matt Townsend Show. We should not detract from the enormous uh, uh, generosity of spirit shown by the Italian people, the people in Greece, the people in Germany, the people in Sweden, people in Austria, uh, who've opened their homes, their houses, their uh, town halls, their schools to the refugees, families who themselves have very little. Uh, and as is so often the case, I'm afraid, in these situations, those who have least are often those most willing to give to others in need. Tune in to Notes from the Kennedy Center at 6 a.m. Eastern on BYU Radio. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson. 
You know, we've been talking a lot about various forms of entertainment over the holidays, especially movies. We've given lists of our favorite movies or movies that you can avoid over the holidays. But one thing we haven't suggested as a form of entertainment this holiday season is theater. And we want to shine a big old spotlight on one local theater in particular, and that is the Hale Center Theater. There are two locations here in Utah and uh, several others around the country. Uh, And we are blessed to have one of Hale's theater school directors on the line with us today. His name is Ryan Radabaugh. Ryan, welcome to Screen Cleaning. Excellent. Thank you, Jeff. I'm happy to be on today. So first question right off the bat. It's kind of a silly one, but you may have been asked this question before. So a lot of times in theater, theater is spelled R-E at the end, but the Hale Theater says, no, we are spelling it E-R. Why is that? (laughs) Well, I think because we actually have two of them here in Utah. Uh, The one in Sandy, formerly in West Valley, spells theirs with an R-E. So we spell ours with an E-R to distinguish between the two theaters. Oftentimes we'll get people that will call the Orm Theater looking to buy tickets for the play that's currently in Sandy and vice versa. So trying to have those two different spellings hopefully clears it up just a little bit. Interesting. That's very smart. Also a little confusing, but that's okay. <laughs> so <It's> true. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious to know more about the Hale family, kind of the history of the Hale family and the Hale Center Theater and uh, I think part of the reason this is important is because we're, we're trying to shine a light on on local theaters. And a lot of people just don't realize there is a lot of history behind these local theaters that exist uh, where they live. Um, years and years ago, my grandma and grandpa Hale, Ruth and Nathan Hale, uh, moved out to California because my grandpa wanted to be a leading man. He wanted to be a movie star. And he auditioned for a number of things. He got parts in film as well as in plays, but he found that pretty much everything that was being offered him at the time was asking him to go against his morals. He came home in frustration one day to my grandma and just said, I I really want to do this, but I don't want to do it this way. And so she said, well, I will go ahead and write plays and I will make you the leading man and you can star in these plays. And so uh, that began my grandma writing uh, close to a hundred different plays and uh, many of them just revolving around family and a leading man and and other kinds of things that would really just help her family to shine. When she opened the theater in Salt Lake, she opened that theater so that her daughter and her grandson would have uh, a theater. And that was um, that first theater in Salt Lake. And then the one here in Orem, they opened that one so that her son and another grandson could open and run this theater that we have here in Orem. And so she just wanted theater to be kept in the family and give something for them to be able to raise their kids and and have as their profession. That's so interesting because most parents get their kids like a dog or a bike or even a car, but you never hear about any that uh, get them theaters. That's pretty awesome. What an amazing history, too, and, and good for them for sticking to their morals like that. What, what would you say, when you're telling people about the Hale Theater, what would you say is unique about the Hale Theater? Or what would you say is unique about local theater in general? Um. The uniqueness of the Hale Theater, uh, we're one of the only 
theater in the rounds um, here in the Valley. Um, with theater in the rounds, you've got audience on all sides. We have just um, just over a couple hundred seats, and whether you're on the first row or the back row, you just feel like you're right there with the actors and, and very invested in the story. That is so, so cool. What would you say are benefits that a smaller theater would enjoy versus what a larger theater might enjoy or that they might not enjoy? I think with a smaller theater, you get more uh, wrapped up in the emotion. You're able to follow the story a little bit better. You know, at the hail, you're really able to, to see that. You're able to see him sweat, you're able to see him cry. Oh, wow. <laughs> and in some cases, uh, some of the sweat even gets on the audience members. I've been there when that's happened. That is true. That is true. I've had uh, that happen before. <laughs> uh, what would you say are some of the challenges that the Hale Theater or a smaller theater might experience that a larger theater might not? We have to try and fit um, whatever set we're using for the show on that small stage. A few years ago, we did Les Miserables, and that was a, a massive undertaking to be able to bring in a barricade, to be able to portray Javert's suicide, when there's no way you can hide anything. There's no way that you can, you know, pull any kind of veil over the audience's eyes. They see it all. Yeah. And, and you mentioned Les Mis. I, w- I was curious to know what sort of criteria that you use when the plays are being selected. Um, we look at shows that uh, have just exited Broadway. Our producers will take trips every couple of years to New York um, or Chicago to see what plays are on uh, and what plays might fit with what we do. Again, we're a family theater. We want to be able to keep shows that people are comfortable bringing their family and their kids to. That's something that my grandma and grandpa Obviously, the reason why they started the theater, they wanted to be able to to shy away from things that might be in movies considered PG-13, considered R. You know, they wanted to be able to keep it family friendly. So we look at those kinds of things. What shows would families enjoy? Um, what shows have not been in rotation for a while? Um, you know, you can only do... Seven Brides for Seven Brothers or Sound of Music so many times. Yeah. <laughs> what would you say are some of your favorites that you've done? I think my favorite experience that I've had over the 17 years was actually just this last summer when we did The Lion King. Um, it was just a spiritual experience. We had people in the audience come out afterwards saying, this was not something we expected from youth. Um, it's such a beautiful story, and the music is just uh, completely unforgettable, and we just had a, a great experience with just a wonderful cast of kids. I'm, I'm curious to know, because the Hale Theater has been around for a long time, whether it's the one in Glendale or the ones here in Utah or Arizona even for that matter, why do you feel like the Hale Theater has managed to stick around all these years? What is it about it that has kept it in business all these years? I think the quality of their productions is... Um, unsurpassed. The the way that they're able to bring in incredible talent. Um, we've had people that have come in from New York City just to be on our stage, um, uh, places from all over, but, but really the talent that we have here in Utah County. Uh, we have a lot of actors who have been in our shows over the years, and they keep coming back, and you can see the growth in them and the growth in their performances, but um, I think that 
live theater offers something that film can't. Um, in film, you're reacting to a screen with live theater. You're reacting to what's going on right there in front of you, and the audience and everyone around you just adds to that experience in a way that a movie can't. Yeah. And speaking of the, the quality of the actors, how are you guys able to get such good actors to appear in these shows? It's amazing because, you know, I, I imagine that you are not able to pay them as much as, you know, a theater on Broadway would be able to pay them. How do you get these incredible actors to be in all these, these productions that you have? Well, Utah just seems to have this cultural underground of art that is absolutely amazing. I mean, you look at these shows on TV, these dance shows, it seems like five out of the six or seven top dancers are all from Utah. (laughs) Studios that uh, just train these incredible artists. And I think we've got the same here with our actors. Um, You know, most most all of our actors have a full-time job with something other than, you know, for arts. It's it's something they want to do in their free time, something that they want to be able to uh, just share their talent here with other people. Clearly, you know, we want to be able to support theaters like the Hale Theater and, uh, you know, smaller theaters that that don't do the huge business that other theaters might. We want to support these. We want to shine a spotlight on them. But as theater goers, we also want to have a good time and want to see a quality production. How do we decipher between a smaller quality theater house like yours versus a smaller, uh, not very high quality theater house uh, somewhere else? How do we pick out, how do we know that we're going to see a quality production? I think a lot of it is word of mouth. Um, we get people that will come and see the shows and they end up telling everyone in their neighborhood, you've got to see this. This was something that I wasn't even expecting. We've found that that's actually been the number one influencer on our youth program. Um, people that will come and see these youth shows just thinking, oh, I'll bring my kid to see something, but then being entertained themselves as adults. And the word begins to spread, and our youth shows have been selling out over the last couple of years, which was something that we didn't think was ever going to happen. So I think that word of mouth, people knowing who the Hales are and what this theater is capable of doing has just been able to continue to help us to fill seats and create good quality shows. That's awesome, and I think that's important because – you know, a lot of people, if they're going to plop down the cash, they want to know that they've got a guarantee of a good time. And I can honestly say that that's been the case whenever I've gone to the Hale Theater and a lot of other small theaters as well. Uh, Ryan, just yeah. in closing, with so many options for entertainment out there, whether it's movies, TV, going bowling, mini golf, any there are so many forms of entertainment. What argument would you make for choosing local theater over all of those other options? With local theater, I think it's an experience that's lasting. Um, it's something where you love to talk about it afterwards. You come away from that show, and our actors are out there waiting to greet you. Um, they're waiting to talk to you about the performance, and you're able to give some immediate feedback. You know, you're able to tell them how much you enjoyed it or parts of the play that stuck out to you. You know, I see these kids 
coming to these shows and the reactions on their faces when they see either one of the youth shows or one of our regular season shows, you know, something like Tarzan that we did this last summer, it's, it's great to see the way that kids can just react to something that's happening right there in front of them. Um, and they're forced to do that with the, the stage and the, the actors being that close. And it's just a it's just a wonder to behold. I love it. Well, Ryan Radabaugh, we really appreciate your time here on Screen Cleaning. His name is Ryan Radabaugh. He's a theater school director at the Hale Theater, which is a local theater here to Utah County, as well as uh, up in Salt Lake. And that's what we love to do on this show. We just like to shine a big old spotlight on various forms of entertainment that are going to be uplifting, that are going to be of a high-quality nature. Okay, when we return, we're going to be speaking with our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. This is Screen Cleaning with Jeff Simpson. This is a 90-second movie review on BYU Radio. This time around, we're talking about Ferdinand, the film about a bull who's raised to fight but doesn't want to fight. The film opens with young Ferdinand on the ranch, running about and smelling the flowers. He takes care of them, tries to protect them as much as he can. The other young bulls on the ranch are trying to become fighters and be chosen by a matador to fight them in the ring. Being a pacifist, Ferdinand does not fit in. He runs from the ranch and eventually grows to be a huge bull. So those who don't know him, well, they think he's some sort of a monster. This is a good film for the whole family. The voice acting is great, especially Kate McKinnon's character Lupe. This is the definition of comic relief. It was almost like watching Robin Williams as the genie once again. Some of the other voice actors, though, were there for name placement only, such as Peyton Manning. I did like John Cena's performance as Ferdinand, though. There are some touching moments in this film, and the message of nonviolence and being yourself is a good one that parents can discuss with their children. This film does get over the top at times, but it's not too much in this film. Now, given the nonviolent message of the film, it's a little surprising that there is still violence shown on the screen, despite being played for humor. There are scenes of a slaughterhouse, though it is at night, so no workers are present, but the bulls do get things running and are in danger. Also, some children may not understand why the matador is trying to stab a bull. Well, this film can be a good reminder that things are not always as they appear to be. Ferdinand was fun to watch, and it's rated PG. I'm giving it a B grade. I'm Sean O'Neill. This has been a 90-second movie review on BYU Radio. Welcome back to, I almost said BYU Sports Nation. We're actually going to be speaking with our good friends at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem. This show is screen cleaning. And uh, after speaking uh, with some lawyers, BYU Sports Nation and I have come to an agreement on some topics that we're just not going to talk about. And I'm hoping that they can grant me the same courtesy and not talk about Star Wars today. Spencer and Jerem, how are you? Uh, we are fantastic. I'm so excited now, that I lost my voice. Yeah, Whoa. Spencer lost his voice. Whoa. Screaming and yelling. Yes. Okay. So I gave Rod Gustafson, our, our movie critic, uh, the impossible task of giving a review of Star Wars without talking about it. And he did a fantastic job. Wait, hold on. Do you have multiple movie critics? Because Sean O'Neill's a movie critic. He's there, yeah. too. And, uh, you know, I critique movies. Cole critiques movies. Yeah, yeah. We're just a den of critics over here. So... <laughs> So it was so good that you lost your voice. Now that's a review, a glowing review for the movie. Yeah. Does anybody have a negative review for the movie? I, you I know what? I've heard. I've heard some I want to read that one. Here's yeah. the crazy yeah. thing. I don't. I, you know, I don't read too much into Rotten Tomatoes, even though I check it 
daily. Um, they're, currently, the critics are giving it 93%. The audience is giving it 61%. I saw that. That's insane. That is pretty wow, crazy. Wow, the audience is giving it a 61? Yes. The disparity there is large. I mean, that's like that's lower than Indiana Jones and the uh, that's getting into that territory, the uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Oh, not even close. Get out of here. <laughs> so, as I understand, you guys have a special Star Wars show today, don't you? Of sorts. There's Star Wars moments. It's tough because we wish the we wish this day came in May when the news cycle was a little slower, because BYU <laughs> is playing Utah in basketball tomorrow in Provo for the first time in three years. First time in two years, just any game. Uh, then Jeff Grimes was hired as the offensive coordinator, so we're going to keep that uh, story going a little bit. Right. And, th- and then there's Star Wars. So normally we would just go all out Star Wars. We we have relevant news topics to discuss. I thought you had audience members there that were wearing you know Chewbacca masks and carrying lightsabers. Oh come on, Jeff! That was last night. We did oh. uh, we did more of a Star Wars show last year for Rogue One. Yes. So wait, what happened last night then? What happened last night? Yes, you're gonna have to go to Twitter and. Uh, wow, we can't even we can't Wait. even get spoilers for something that's already happened. <laughs> oh, that's I will cruel. give my twelve. Okay, I know Sean does a ninety second movie review. Yeah, that's seventy eight seconds too long. Okay. Okay. I'm doing it. I do twelve second movie <laughs> reviews. On yes, the and then Jerem rates them on a scale of BYU athletes from Jimmer Fredette to Jake Heaps. Wow. Okay, Jake being the most overrated athlete in BYU history. <laughs> can you at least to Jimmer the most beloved? Can you at least tell us where you would rank this film among the other Star Wars films? That's a good question that I have not thought of yet. Hmm. I'd have to. I'd have to think about it. Okay, I know what you're. Okay, okay. Is. I, I'm whittling it down in my mind. Just an initial thought, like the fifth, right in the middle. Really? Yeah. The right fifth. In the and what is your, what is the all time greatest then? Empire. Wow, I loved Rogue One. I think Rogue One's number two for me. I oh my it was goodness! Amazing. Cole is silently shaking his head over here. I loved. Like no or yes? No. Like no. No. What's wow. number one for Cole? Cole. So I'm more of a Jedi guy, but Empire's right there you as love well. Small bears. I do. I don't hate <laughs> the Ewoks. The... <laughs> Yub dub. So I'm going to get to see you guys here in just a little bit. We're going to have hot dogs and popcorn. Uh, I want to know, though, how do you like BYU's chances this weekend? And why is the game so late? TV. ESPN. Uh, Bill Walton is the analyst. Bill Walton Provo. Yeah, that's a a great combo. Okay. Walton Are you familiar from, with Bill Walton? Well, I know. The sh- isn't there the show The Waltons? Uh, well, there is that, but Bill, Bill Walton, as in one of the 50 greatest NBA players of all time. You know, if it's not Major League Baseball and not L.A., then you know I don't know. I love you know L.A. He has been granted every liberty to say whatever he wants on the air. Hey, I was thinking of singing that song during the karaoke, but I, didn't it get canceled? Wait, karaoke got canceled? L.A. got canceled? Oh, boy. This is oh, not wow. going well. We are, we are way <laughs> off base here. These so are much all, miscommunication. These are alternative facts. Um, so, wait. Did you tell me if you like their chances? Uh, I like BYU's chances, one, because they're playing in front of a Marriott Center crowd, and it's going to be crazy. Ooh. And they're playing with confidence, and 
they're eight and two for the first time in five years. Like it's, and and Utah's not a world beater. Like this is is a good opportunity for BYU to to finally end the streak. All right. What? Give us uh, just a little bit more of what's coming up on your show that we should be super excited about. So there's not only the game, which is a big deal. There's the 12-second movie review, as mentioned. Yes. There's uh, some discussion uh, with Jeff Grimes. He will hold a press conference. We'll tell you when. Uh, also, the latest on uh, Jimmer Fredette. How'd he do uh, in, in China? Did, did he have his best game of the year or his worst? We'll tell you. Plus, a busy weekend. Cougars in the NFL. Jamal Williams gets a significant teammate back. Yes. That's exciting. That's coming up in five minutes and 19, 18 seconds. Gentlemen, may the force be with you on your show today. I eat. Thank you, Jeffrey. <laughs> we'll see you in a bit. Uh, BYU Sports Nation coming up in five minutes. Now, as you know, we like to end each show with our panning for good segment. So we're going to do that right now. There's good in them dire hills. This one's special because we're going to let Cole handle this edition of, uh, I almost said Silver Lining Cinema, of Panning for Good. Cole, what have you got for us today? I want to bring back the Christmas theme that we had going on a little bit earlier and talk about my favorite Christmas episode of a television show because every TV show's tried it once or twice. um, And this comes from a a little cartoon, good, nice Nickelodeon show that was airing when I was in middle school called Danny Phantom. Uh, And this is a sample from that episode. Okay. Danny Fenton hates Christmas. He hates it a lot, which is why I've inserted the boy in this plot. He'll go through this tale till the story is ending. But you can't make me rhyme. Hope your new year is splendid. <laughs> and the whole episode it goes in the context of Danny being a guy that fights ghosts a lot. Um, and he goes up against the ghost writer. <laughs> He's yes. writing a Christmas poem and nice. traps Danny in this curse that makes him talk in rhymes to the tune of The Night Before Christmas. That was also Will Arnett's voice as oh. the ghostwriter, which really? I think was pretty cool. Uh, Danny was just a kid that kind of doesn't like Christmas and learns the spirit of Christmas by the end. And as a kid, I really liked it, and I think it's a, a nice little nugget from my youth and from a good television show. See, this is good. This is what we like to do. We like to try to pan and find that little nugget of gold, and I think Cole has done a pretty good job of doing that today. I've never heard of this. You've never I'm, even heard of this show, probably because you weren't in middle school when it true. was true. And uh, I think it was in college when it <laughs> aired. Um, but this is great because I'm always, I, as I mentioned on the show already today, I'm always on the lookout for new Christmas favorites to to view with my family so i guess this could be the next one i'll have to check it out danny phantom phantom but that said fenton that so his name the just the kid is danny fenton okay and his super ghost hero alter ego is danny phantom all right yeah sounds good cole I am now just hours away, about five and a half hours away from seeing Star Wars The Last Jedi. And we managed to, good for us, make it through the entire program no without spoilers. getting any spoilers or providing any spoilers. We are safe. All I have to do now is stay <sighs> off Twitter and Facebook and everything else for the next three days while I wait to see. Good luck. Yeah. All right. That's going to do it for this show. Uh, join us next Friday here on Screen Cleaning on The Matt Townsend Show.
cleaner, quieter, and even faster. NASA is entering a new era in aviation as X-Planes take to the air. This is a special series of Innovation Now, celebrating the 100th anniversary of NASA Langley Research Center in Hampton, Virginia. The aviation industry touches us all and is critical to our economic vitality. So NASA has announced a bold 10-year plan to redesign aircraft as we know them. New flight demonstration vehicles, known as X-Planes, will test advanced technologies and revolutionary designs. Blended wing bodies will replace tube and wing shapes. Designs may include long, narrow wings, new forms of electric propulsion, embedded engines, or a double-wide fuselage made of lightweight composites. But that's only the beginning. NASA would like to see an X-plane the size of a business jet that can fly 